Hello and welcome once more to the Name This Bond Podcast podcast. Yes. With my esteemed... <laughs> tentatively, Bon 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 Bond. Oh, three, three Bond. Or, three Bonds in a Bond. Or Trey Bond. Trey Bond. Trey Bond. Bon 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 Bond. Bon 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 Bond. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts. <laughs> Email in. Um, send us a you know, comment or a, or a tweet. Just or put it in the group chat. Just group, the group yeah. chat. Whatever you think uh, we should finally call... We still got that MySpace. Yeah, we've got the MySpace. I just set it shut, up. Shut that down. Joining me today, as always, dear darling, Darby Deck. Dear darling, Darby. Yeah, Deck. Oh, I like yeah. that. My nana used to call me darling Darby. Oh, yeah. there you go. This one's for you, nana. <laughs> <laughs> and our brains trust MI6 expert in the field, Brandon McClelland. Reporting for duty. Very good. Very nice. Mr. McClelland. Our mission today. Today's mission is 1987's The Living Daylights, starring one Timothy Dalton. Ooh. The, the first of the hard-edged Fleming Bonds. <laughs> the first of the hard-edged. Yes, he, he was c- pretty much the first one to say, I'm taking this back to the Fleming novels. Oh, really? Um, particularly after we just come out of more, more mm. 14 years of more. That's a dynasty. It's a long time. It's Seven Craig. films. Greg's fourteen. Yeah, he is. Not two, as many films. Two though, less films. One. Yeah, right, two right, less right, films. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we've just come out of Moore's dynasty, which, as it went on, some people would say got more and more fantastical mm-hmm. and got away from what Fleming had envisioned the character to be. So this was a reset. This was a reset. Yeah, it was. It was the reboot before the. Casino Royale reboot. It was and like they were half going for that soft reboot. And did they achieve what they set out to do? Well, we'll find out, I think. Mm. I think we'll find out. Why did out. he only do two? Uh, studio Troubles. Okay. Studio Troubles. MGM has had a really, really checkered past. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I shouldn't say checkered because... Do you want to get sued? <laughs> 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 but MGM have had uh, troubles financially, legally, throughout the decades... Uh, this was the first one that kind of brought Bond to uh, a real crashing halt mm-hmm. after 89's License to Kill, which did very well worldwide but didn't do well in the States, right. which was how box office receipts were and probably still are to this day kind of tallied up. Mm. Um, because it didn't do that well, MGM decided, well, maybe Bond's dead. Mm. There were legal troubles with the Bond franchise as well during this time. Kevin McClory was still looking at making um, another Bond film. The, the money just wasn't there. There was a big delay in between License to Kill and Goldeneye. Mm. Um, they had a treatment which is available online for a third Dalton Bond film, which was um, kind of halfway between what we see in The Living Daylights and kind of the later Brosnan films. It was right. like a mishmash of those two types, um, which never never got made. And as far as I'm aware, the full script was never written. Yeah. Um, but because there was just such a long break in between films, and by the time they got the, the, the go-ahead to make the 17th Bond film, uh, Dalton and the producers kind of both came to the decision that it was probably time for a different Bond. That's it. Mm. Um, and yeah. funnily enough, the, the man who took the, that position, as we all know, is Pierce Brosnan, mm. who was meant to star in 1987's The Living Daylights. Oh, my and, goodness. And me. Dalton was meant to star in, I heard you guys 
whisper the other day in he was uh, he was approached when they were looking for a new bond after Connery that's yeah. crazy he, he was 22 years he, old. he was 22 he looks when, he looks young in this he does he's oh this is a test I think mm. he's he's in his early 40s really I'm gonna wager he was he ages well he was about 41 I'm going to say 41. That's oh. a fact check for the next episode. <laughs> I think he was about 41 when he took the role here. Gee. Maybe 43? Oh, don't, we're getting into guessing games okay. now. But, um, yeah, Brosnan was... Uh, Dalton was approached for, for that film. And I believe he was even approached again um, around the time of once Connery left again right. after Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. Um, but, again, he thought he was too, so too young. He had a profile at that time yeah he he was kind of like he was the next big he in he came up around the same just before kenneth Branagh did Mm -hmm. um and he was that type of star like Mm -hmm. he was the the middle ground between olivia olivier's generation and Branagh's generation sure Branagh and dalton are kind of contemporaries of each other uh but he was a classically trained actor he was very well known for doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a theatre actor, and he was considered a very serious, sure. like, prestige actor. Yeah, he's Welsh, sure. isn't he? He is. He's Welsh. Welsh. Well, it's funny, I, I came across some reading the other day about Dalton. There was a, an exchange that he made with Brosnan, talking about Bond. The two of them were meeting, and it must have been some sort of awards thing or something like that. And jokingly, in passing, um, I think Brosnan must have been getting ready to um, take over the part. And Dalton said to Brosnan, what do you think is the most important thing uh, for Bond to remember in the field? Is it a fact check? And Brosnan said, oh, I don't know. Check your six. Dalton said, no. Check your facts. Uh, it's a fact check. I felt it too. I felt it too. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I've spoiled that yeah, two weeks in a row now. Just done that. I have to jump He's in. He's got to get in there. It's, it's very good. It's very good. Very good. good. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a fact check. <laughs> fact check. Fact check. Fact check. Ladies and gentlemen, taking you back to live and let die. Darby Deck. You asked. Uh-oh. Oh, Darby has oh, got yeah. a first. Oh. This is a first. Yeah, yeah, it's not all Brandon here. Look, oh, let, me just, let me just say from the get-go, you guys made me work my little butt off. This fact Good. check was a very intense experience. Well, that's what we pay you for. Yeah. Uh, wait, I'm getting paid? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. we'll talk about it. Darby asked, is Roger Moore the tallest Bond? Oh. Now, Brandon said that he knows... Uh-huh. He knows Lazenby is a very tall man. Mm. And I mentioned Connery seemed like a large man as well, but we all were in agreement that Craig does not look very large. Ah, oh, it's Dalton. Dalton's the tallest. Brandon man. said he thought Craig is 5 foot 11 inches tall. Very specific. And Brandon, you also remember Dalton in Hot Fuzz being quite tall as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. So here it is. From I'm, sh- I'm going to put a bet down. I'm going to oh, say Dalton. You say Dalton's a tallest. Just in the spirit of living of the living daylights, I think Dalton is our tallest actor. Ooh. Darby seemed to think Roger Moore was quite tall. I'm going to go Rog. Okay. I'm going to go Rog. Okay. Mm. Well, gentlemen, here it is. Mm-hmm. From shortest to tallest. Oh, cool. here we go. Very good. We have Craig, Daniel Craig. Oh, yes! shorty boy. Yeah. He is 1.78 metres tall. The pocket rocket. Which makes him 5 foot 
eight inches. Oh, wow. No, he's not five foot eight. Five foot eight no, inches. He's no 1.78 metres tall. He must wear little, uh, little boots. 1.78. No, no, no. He's only quite... No, he can't be that short. He's, yeah. he's a couple of centimetres taller than me. Yeah, again, he can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I swear. Where, where are you getting this back? All right, all right. We'll keep going. All right. Roger Moore oh. and Pierce Brosnan are tied oh, right. second place. Well, second place. Third place. Third. third place. Third place. Yeah. At 1.86 metres. Fourth. Fourth. Fourth place. Fourth tied place. In fact, we spoke about it. In fact, in fact, Math's not a strong point. <laughs> So Moore and, Moore and Brosnan are tied. Okay. They're the same height. What height are they? 1.86. What's this in old school feats? That's six foot. That's about six foot. Mm, well, we'd have to be getting pretty close. Mm. There's, un, there's, there's not much in it. I'll tell you that. There's mm. not much in it. George Lazenby mm. and Timothy Dalton oh. are also tied. Oh, wow. At 1.8. Seven. Shawnee boy. Which Shawnee. means the tallest bond is the first yeah. bond. Sean Connery standing a proud 1.8 metres, a.k.a. 6 foot and 1, 1 inch. 1.88. They're, 1. they're 1. surely 8. taller than that. There's only a centimetre between. There's really only a couple of centimetres between 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Of the bond. Well, the next bond has to be over six foot. It's got to be. That's a stipulation. Or six foot even. Six foot. I want him to one, be six, six foot two. two. Mm. I'm. <laughs> the. I think I'm going to have to fact check. The fact the check. check. <laughs> Where did you find out that he was five eight? Uh, the internet. <laughs> ah, well, that could never be wrong. Five eight is just—it's very—it's very short. I I I trans I translated <laughs> oh, uh, yes. meters from the Spanish from the Spanish <laughs> <laughs> El meters. Uh, uh, so you went to Spanish Google. I did. I did. <laughs> meters to feet, one point seven eight is apparently five foot eight inches. Uh, I think it's five ten. Uh, yeah. How do you know that? Hang on, I'm just typing Daniel Craig height into Google. Five foot ten and a half or 178.4. Oh, there you are. I got 1782. Okay, let's Strange. go through this. Let's go through so this. So he's 510. Well, could All you... Right, let's write this down. We've got a 510. <laughs> could you... Here we go. Could this you, is important, Could people. you figure out... Uh-huh. My integrity has been compromised here. So I think the entire fact check department <laughs> needs to be audited. Completely cleaned out. <laughs> Metres to feet. I'm, I'm on a converter now. So right. that's... 1.78. So... 178. 5.10. 5'10". So we have Daniel Craig at 5'10". Let's find out how tall is Pierce Brosnan. I had Pierce Brosnan down at 1.86, which is the exact same as Roger Moore. That is 6'1 and a half. 6'1 and a half. Or 6'1.2". Just call him 6'1". 6'1". So PB and RM, they are both 6'1". They are. So how tall is Lazenby? I had Lazenby and Dalton at 1.87. Which is n- nearly 6'2". Okay. Right. 
Well, that is six one and a half. Actually. And then you had Connery at what? One eight eight. Which is six two. That's exactly. six two exactly. Six two exactly. There you go. Oh, well, there you are. So your conversions were weak. Were, were, were a little off. off. <laughs> but the order that, is that right. That feels a bit. The order's right. Right. So Connery is the tallest, tallest bond. bond. We got to the bottom of it. Do you think? Do you think he looks the tallest? No. 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 I think I, Dalton looks the tallest. Dalton's the skinniest. Maybe it's the leanness. Maybe it's the leanness. You think Dalton looks the tallest? Yeah. Dalton or Brosnan are both quite thin. I thought Brosnan would have been closer to Craig. I didn't think he was that tall. He's, he, he gives the vibe of a short man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I personally, I don't know what I said last week, but right now, on this very day, I think Roger Moore gives the vibe of the tallest Bond. He, he, well, he's very he's just, straight backed. He holds mm, himself yes. just so well. Well, that's why I, he had my vote. He, you know, yeah. he had, mm. But for some reason, today, in the spirit of the living daylights, I was like, I think it's Dalton. I think he's going to rush it out. There you go. Well, we've we fact-checked we, in the middle of a fact-check. In fact the middle check. of a fact-check that's <laughs> let's unprecedented. Get, let's continue with Moving the fact-check. <laughs> Brandon, you requested a particular fact-check outside uh-huh. of the episode. Yeah, I did. Outside of the episode, I don't know if we can allow this. Yeah, (laughs) he wanted to know how you pronounce the name of the screenwriter. Yeah, now I think I was saying Tom Mankovich. You were saying Tom Mankovich, and according to the man himself, it is pronounced Mankowitz. Mankowitz. Well, I do apologise to uh, Tom Mankowitz. Witz. Witz. (laughs) Witz. I do apologise to Tom. (laughs) (laughs) We've got it right now. Yeah. Darby. Oh, he's at it again. You said that this might be the first heroin-based villain oh, in cinema. Yeah. A bold claim. A bold claim. A bold claim. It seems... But I wanted to investigate. Yeah. I wanted to see Thank what, what was Thank out you. there. The Man with the Golden Arm uh-huh. is a 1955 oh. American drama film with elements of film noir based on the novel of the same name by Nelson Algren. It recounts the story of a drug addict who gets clean while in prison but struggles to stay that way in the outside world. Although the addictive drug is never identified in the film, according to the American Film Institute, most contemporary and modern sources assume that it is heroin, in contrast to Algren's book, which named the drug as morphine. Mm. This is arguably the first suggestion of heroin in at least an American film in 1955. The film Blonde in Bondage is a 1957 Swedish crime drama where New York City reporter Larry Brand is sent to Stockholm to do a story on Swedish morals. A traffic accident leads him into rescuing a striptease artist from drug addiction and pits him against a ruthless criminal gang, Uh arguably showcasing the very first heroin-based villain in cinematic history. Very good. Very good. So which was first, Bond in Blondage? Blonde in Blondage. <laughs> Bond that's, in Blondage. That's an official Bond. <laughs> well, it's funny because both of those titles have slightly tenuous links to Bond. To Bond. The name of the Golden Arm is a word away. Yes. And then you have... Blonde in bondage. It's all very. There's a glitch in the matrix. It's I think. It's a family. It's a family. So you think the man with the golden 
I think uh, was the, potentially the first heroine storyline. Yes, but the first heroine-based villain would be two years Bondin, later. Blonde in blonde in bondage. Blonde in bondage. Blonde in bondage. That's what I'm calling it. Oh, bonded in blondage. Bonded in blondage. Bonded in blondage. Now, where were the Harlem scenes shot? Oh God! Oh. In Harlem or Pinewood Studios, Brandon believed they were filmed on location in Harlem. At well, least some. If not Harlem, definitely in New York. Yeah. And from memory, Brandon believes they didn't film in Harlem itself because it was still quite a rough neighbourhood at the time. Mm. As was the style at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, listeners, please excuse me, but I brought with me some visual aids. Oh. Uh, oh. We'll, we'll put these images in the show notes for you to review later on. Just to clarify. He's good. Firstly, Harlem is a neighborhood in the northern section of the New York City borough of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It is bounded roughly by Frederick Douglass Boulevard, St. Nicholas Avenue, and Morningside Park on the west. I stayed just here. You stayed just down there? Just there. Oh, there you go. Just below West 123rd Street. There you go. Then you've got the Harlem River and 150. 5th Street on the north side, 5th Avenue running down the east, and Central Park North here on the south. The greater Harlem area encompasses several other neighbourhoods and extends west all the way over to the Hudson River, north to 155th Street, east to the East River, and south to 96th Street. Now, according to movielocations.com, Bond tails a lead from the occult voodoo shop. Wow. At 33 East 65th Street on the east side, up 5th Avenue uh, to the Filet of Soul on Lennox Avenue and 124th Street up here in Harlem. However, the Filet of Soul was actually filmed down here on the upper east side on 2nd Avenue at 94th Street. In Ooh. Carnegie Hill, is that right? Oh Yes, down there, down there in the, in the borough of Carnegie Hill. Uh, though the ensuing fight scenes were shot on 118th Street, up the top here. This is the alleyway, is it? Yes, the alleyway Where up here. on the ladder. On the ladder. Wow. The, the, the dilapidated yes, crumbling. Yes, the, wow. the homage to, um, <coughs> to uh, Spectre. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Skyfall. Skyfall, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yes, yes. Uh, I don't think they were homaging yeah, Skyfall. the future. I the, think Skyfall was homaging. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're good, but they're not. That's not very good. <laughs> Fact check. Fact check. Which, which is, in fact, edging its way towards Harlem here, the, the outline yeah. there. And yeah. some of the other Harlem scenes well, were also filmed there on 117th Street as well. Hmm. Uh, however, a little discrepancy here. Oh, yeah. This account of Bond's route driving up Fifth Avenue... Mm. cannot be correct because as of January 14, 1966 5th Avenue was changed to one-way traffic southbound from 135th Street it is most likely Bond would have taken Madison Avenue uptown as traffic on Madison was changed to one-way northbound direction to offset the changes made to 5th Avenue so he probably would have travelled up here one block further across there. Wow. That is But it was filmed research. it was filmed in it Manhattan. It was filmed in Manhattan on location and very close it's to the we Harlem see. neighborhood. What a, the interior is probably not. 
The interiors, I couldn't find any information on the interiors, possibly would have been studio work. But the exteriors, yeah. But on the location... That is amazing. Like, that actually makes it even more impressive. It does, yeah. That New York actually looked like that. Yeah. The parts of New York. I can't believe that like alleyway. That. I wonder if they did any dressing up or if they just kind of went, this is perfect. Don't touch it. Maybe. Yeah. I'm wow. sure the production designers would have moved in there and With shuffled a rubble. few things around. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Crazy. Now, Brandon said that Cubby and Saltzman were chasing Hitchcock to direct a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I really second get this. This does really bad things for anxiety. <laughs> Well, the first, the, first, the first sort of mention of Hitchcock I could find, hmm. uh, according to an article written in Variety magazine, which quotes Chris Wright, the co-host of the James Bond radio podcast, yes. uh, which might be a bit of a tainted um, you know, <laughs> source, judging by our last episode about um, did Roger. Roger Moore run in his films. Yeah, yeah he definitely did. Nevertheless, Chris Wright said... It was Ian Fleming's idea to contact Hitchcock, and he sent a telegram to Hitchcock through a mutual friend of theirs, asking if he'd be interested in directing Bond's movie debut. Oh. That project was an early version of Thunderball. The two men never met in person to discuss it. Instead, Hitchcock began work on Psycho, while Fleming reworked the screenplay into his eighth full-length Bond novel. Yes, and set off a wow. whole heap of legal troubles uh, in the process because he co-wrote uh, the, the treatment. <laughs> uh, he co-wrote the treatment of Thunderball oh with Kevin McClory. Oh, who so then McClory went on, had some claim. Yeah, mm. so McClory had claim. He he had claim to the Thunderball story and to the origins of Spectre. Oh my goodness! Because that's where Spectre first appeared was in um, the novel Thunderball. And so he had something to do with Never Say Never Again, didn't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. he when they made Thunderball, Kevin McClory was like an associate producer or consult. He was some sort form of producer mm. um, on Thunderball because he wouldn't give up the rights. What a bastard! Um, to to the. Broccoli and Saltzman. Have a go. Have a go. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a go. He had, a go. <laughs> he had quite a few goes. And yeah, he ended up producing um, Never Say Never Again, which was directed by, um, what's his name? Irvin Kirshner, the guy who directed oh, Empire did he direct Strikes that? Back. Yeah. Wow, we should really watch that. Oh, God. Once, <laughs> yeah, we should. But once we're done, the, the proper ones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's yeah. better than Die Another Day. <laughs> yeah, I, I went there. <laughs> shots fired, shots fired. We're recording this one in the morning and I'm not holding back. <laughs> Two more to go, gents. All right, let's do it. I asked how old Jane Seymour was when mm. she performed the role of Solitaire. Mm. Brandon said she had to be, had to be. Early 20s. In her early 20s. Yeah. I'm going to even I go further on that and I'm going to say 21. Blackjack. Blackjack. I'd say 19. Ooh. Ooh. Jane Seymour had seven screen credits to her name before Live and Let Die. Her earliest being an uncredited chorus girl in Oh What a Lovely War at the age of 18. Jane Seymour, at the time Live and Let Die was being filmed, was 22 years old. Ooh, we've just gone bust. <laughs> <laughs> the house always wins. 22, that's very young, isn't it? So young. Amazing. So young to be a gentleman. And, and he, was, he was like 43. Gee, Baba. 
43, 44, something that's like that. A, that's an that's a couple age of decades difference. in between. Yeah. <laughs> that is more than two decades. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. As was the style at yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Different finale. Time the, 70s. <laughs> the grand finale. What was the aspect ratio of Live and Let Die? That's a tough one. Brandon said this film went back to that old aspect ratio that wasn't 16.9, not the letterbox aspect ratio, because it fills more of the screen. Darby said, couldn't even tell you. There are hundreds. We know it's not 2.35, and it's we know probably it's like 16.9. or 2.29, something like that. Right. Yeah. It leaves like a centimetre at the top and bottom of yeah. the screen, and when you notice it, it really bugs me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, gents, that you have touched on one of the most contemptuous, mm. popular, and darn right frustrating Bond fandom conundrum. Because it oh, can really? be reauthored depending on the display format as well. This one was very, very tough. Yeah. And there is very little definitive evidence for the answer. Mm. God. However, I will share with you a number of theories oh, okay. as to why live and let die's aspect ratio is different. Firstly, the aspect ratio itself that is most commonly agreed upon, even in this, even this is up for contention, the most agreed upon aspect ratio is 1.85. 185, okay, yep. The most <laughs> common theory going is that it is cost related. One theory suggests that perhaps due to the fact that anamorphic lenses require bigger lights for deeper f-stops in order to get an exposure, this means nothing to me, Darby, but might to you. <laughs> on a production that Still relied has an anamorphic look, though, very heavily, on a production that required, you know, relied very heavily on large-scale location shoots, and particularly at night time, this would have been a very lengthy, very costly process. Yeah. Another theory suggests that there was an increase in film stock costs mm -hmm. at the time. There was mention of a reason in the book James Bond The Legacy that mentions there film, was... Film stock costs wouldn't affect... Well, in terms of what lenses you might be filming on due to the stock film stock... remains the same. That was a bit of a question mark for me. Yeah. There was mention... Uh, uh, one, of, one particular reason was mentioned in the book James Bond The Legacy that talks about um, how there were concerns at the time of doing another Bond film without Connery. The budget was smaller for Live and Let Die mm. so that there would be a higher chance of return at the box office. Right. Or perhaps simply, Guy Hamilton stylistically a wanted choice. a grittier look for Moore's new film without anamorphic gloss. So they're not anamorphic lenses? They're not anamorphic lenses. Right. Mm. Maybe the restoration makes it look more uh, in the style of... It's hard to tell. It is hard, to, it's hard tell. to tell. It's very hard to tell. It's funny though that we can't agree on what the actual aspect ratio is when it's that's a shape, right? Yeah. That we can see on a screen. Well, mm. it's one. It's one eight five. It is one eight five. But that so. might be what it was shot in. Oh, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Mm. Yeah, I had heard that because the only, I think that this and um, I think this and the man with the golden gun were both, well, I say this, Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun were shot on that, in that same aspect yes, ratio. that's correct. And I think even Dr. No is shot in that same aspect ratio. I have ratio. a feeling that he came up as well. 
Yeah. A lot of sifting through. Mm. I, I can't remember what From Russia With Love is, and I can't remember what um, Goldfinger Do they ever showing. go full 16-9? Never. I don't think so. Maybe in the later John Glenn movies, like um, License to Kill. Yeah. Maybe The Living Daylights. I remember The Living Daylights being really well shot, though. Mm. Um, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, okay. And that, gentlemen... Is fact check. Fact check. Fact well check. Well, well done. done. Well done. A contentious fact check. A very very contentious. eventful. There were fact checks <laughs> of the fact checks. <laughs> we like to get to the bottom of things. We do. Yeah. Shall we respond? Shall we jump into our preconceived notions? Yes, my favourite favourite segment is the preconceived notions. Darby, I'm going to start with you. Me. What are your preconceived notions? Firstly, of uh, Timothy Dalton. What are you expecting? What are you fearing? Uh, and then, yeah, well, let's start with Dalton. What, what are you expecting? Well, <clears throat> my biggest thing is that Dalton, for me, will always be Simon Skinner. <laughs> uh, always. Running because the local supermarket. I think that that is, he, he, that was the first time I ever really understood him or really took notice of him. Yeah. So it's, there's going to be a little bit of that playing in the back of my mind. I'm worried about this film. Is, that's what my gut's telling me. I'm a little concerned. I don't know why. I think... Yeah, what, what do you think? What's the first thing that jumps to your mind that's causing worry? Tone. Mm. Oh, okay. Tone. I'm not sure about Dalton as Bond. I think that, you know, you talk about... I'm excited that you mentioned that he was he's trying to get back to the Fleming source material. Mm-hmm. That's kind of lent me a little bit more into the Feyerwald side. But the 80s, man... Wasn't a great time for cinema. <laughs> Wasn't a great time for cinema, and I'm concerned about the... You don't think it was a good time for cinema? It, I mean, obviously. Classic films. There's a lot of great stuff in that yeah. time, but I think, I, I mean, maybe more aesthetically. Um, oh, okay, I get Maybe you. wasn't yeah. the best time visually for cinema. Right. Um, you think that it might date quite poorly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's my fear. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, maybe we're far enough away from it now that, that it becomes more contextual in the same way that I didn't have too much of a problem with the the costuming in, in Live and Let Die. Yes. You know, it's I like, oh, well, I'll accept it. Yes. Not a big deal. Mm. But I'm worried because action cinema of the 80s, if if we're continuing on this trend of Bond being influenced by what was around at the time, which it kind of naturally is, action cinema of the 80s I don't really love. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Okay. Except That's an interesting... Because uh, you, you are quite a, a, I would say, a film buff. Mm. Um, you know, you're quite a fan of films. And mm. the 80s action cinema seems to be kind of, with a lot of film buffs, seems to be that kind of hallmark. You know, that's when we got Peak things period. like well, The Terminator. Depends how much Predator. you like cheese. Depends right. how much okay. you like cheese. Right. Because yeah. for me, the 80s action cinema became more style than substance. Yes. Oh, okay. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, it became aware of itself for the probably the first time. You know, we were. Yeah. Um, 70s action cinema was, in, at least in some way, truthful. 80s action cinema was popcorn classics. Having said that, I might really have my foot in my mouth here. But it might be a fantastic film, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting um, kind of uh, trepidation. I think that's the right word. Yeah, it's I guess it's just I've got a slight unease. I'm prepared to dislike it, but I'm also ready to be pleasantly surprised. I I think that knowing. Um, Dalton's gravelly nature to his voice. I, I worry that he'll pull off the quips. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he'll handle himself in the action. I think he's a great actor and maybe will feel the fear of the action scenes a little bit more. Right. Mm. Um, so I'm excited for that aspect. I just don't know if he'll carry the suave elegance that we've all right. indicated is a big important thing for us. It is a big thing for us, yeah. isn't it? He'll yeah. look the part. I just don't know if he'll... Yeah, he's a very handsome... He's a handsome guy. man. He's got incredible eyes. Um, but Lucy, yeah. my partner Lucy, that you both know, but the listeners <laughs> don't, uh, she thinks he's probably, for her mind, mm. uh, the most attractive. Okay. Oh. When, when I showed them her pictures of all of them, mm. she actually didn't rate Connery, which I took great offence to. <laughs> right. Because I think Connery is a very, very, very sexy man. <laughs> he's a bit he's a bit thuggish. Connery. Do you think? Yes, I, yeah, think I agree. Serious. I yeah. don't see that. I got I picked up for that when I talked about it in Doctor No. <laughs> yeah, and rightly so, I'm going to say. I'm going to go for bat here. But that's funny because yeah, uh, Lucy thinks that Pierce Brosnan and Timothy Dalton are the um, the most handsome. Mm. She says there's something quite interesting um, about the look of, of Dalton. Well, they're pretty similar looking, aren't they? Yeah, I guess In they, a way, I they've got they the, the thin face, they've got mm. the mop of brownish hair. Mm. There's similar dark features. Similar dark features. Tall, yeah. dark and handsome. You could, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Mm. 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 You're probably right. But, I mean, look, as I said... I'm not very familiar with the Dalton films. I, haven't, I actually haven't said this, but he's the only Bond that I haven't really... that I'm not familiar with. Right. Mm. Um, I'm very familiar prior to this exercise. I'm very, I've been very familiar with all the other Bonds. Dalton's an unknown quantity for me, much in the way that more was for you. Mm. So I'm ready to be surprised. I'm not going not gonna to go into it looking for things to pull apart. Yeah, okay. You know? Um, Good. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my, those are my preconceived Pre- notions. Very good. Well, Jake, mm. your preconceived I, 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 I share a lot of empathy uh, for Darbs here with his, his, his concerns. His, mm. um, I, I, too, am a little bit... Um, on edge about going into this. I don't want to sell him too short. I got caught like that last last week with, that, did, yeah. with Mr. Moore. I was pleasantly surprised. And I think as, as we explore each of these bonds, at least for me, I find myself being pleasantly surprised. Mm. I find a lot of my preconceived notions um, uh, hinder hinder and, and begin to fall away after I, after I watch mm. a bond, mm-hmm. um, particularly last week. I'm hoping something similar happens here because what I'm expecting is something very serious. Um, yes, I think he will be able to handle himself physically in the action sequences. I just feel like we're going to see an actor at work. Mm. Oh, okay. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm not, I'm not accusing Mr. Dalton of any kind of indulgences. Um, <laughs> because you've never seen it. Because I've never <laughs> seen it. That would be a crazy thing. That's a real preconceived notion. You know how I love my preconceived notion. Our new segment, Jumping to Conclusions. <laughs> um, I just fear that because he's going to be a very serious actor, that we're going to just, come on, get on with it. Mm. Just And that's... Do you think he's going to be indulgent? I, well, just I think it's just going to be maybe not earnest, but it's going to be very serious, and we're going to see him kind of. I I I just worry about diving too heavily into the character and seriousness of Bond. What I appreciate so much about Moore um, is the romp, is the good time, 
um, is the suave, is the whips. Mm. Um, and I just feel all of that's going to get thrown out the window. Um, and it's going to become a very serious, intense, cerebral bond. Um, mm. Which, look, might be fine. I don't, I don't mind a bit of that. I love action sequences. There's got to be good combat. There's got to be good stunts. You've got to do it for real. Um, do it but, for real. Do it for real. But if, if I'm missing, if I'm missing the charm, the kind of effortless whip, whippy one-liners uh, and good style and charisma, then we're not going to have a good time. Can I just add as well, sorry to rudely interrupt, mm. one thing I've thought of while you were talking yes. is um, what more made me realise is how important a new Bond's first scene is. Yes. Ooh, yes. So I'm really yes. excited to see how Dalton first appears. Yes. Wasn't thinking about it with Connery. Yeah. Maybe wasn't thinking about it so much with Lazenby, but I remember we had a positive reaction to his first appearance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But more made me realise you got to nail that first scene. That first one. Yeah. It's important. But continue. I will say this. I believe this film has my favourite Bond car in it. Oh, yeah. yeah I yeah. believe the 1977 Aston Martin V8... Oh, this is an 87? I thought it's a 77. Oh, is it? Fact check. Uh, this Aston Martin I, has a really, really it's, treasured place in my heart. Yeah, it's gorgeous. And it's about to feature in um, No Time to Die. Yes. Oh, very for the, excited for the first time. Back. I mean, we're 33 years on mm. from this film. It's funny. I guess we should jump into my preconceived notions, which, which are tough because I've seen... Dalton many times before as Bond. I've seen this film many times. But that's what makes your notions interesting. Yeah, mm. I, I will say this. He's the one I'm uh, the most unsure about how you're going to go with him. Both of you. Okay. Mm. Uh, he ha It's taken a long time for Dalton's portrayal of Bond to, to settle. Right. right. Um, Was I, he accepted at the time? Uh... As far as I'm aware, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, I, I do remember <coughs> seeing a clip years ago of like, who was it? Ebert and what's the oh, other guy? Shoot, shoot. Roger and Ebert? Is it Rogers and Ebert or? Rod Roger Ebert and uh, the other guy. The other guy. Ebert and the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, reviewing it. And Ebert was like, yeah, I think he, he does pretty well. I don't know if I like the film as much, but I think he makes a, an interesting bond and the other guy just like crapped all over him he was he Schuster was, mm. yeah I don't that's Back not deck. yeah that's <laughs> Schubert 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 Schubert, Schubert. 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 <laughs> I have no idea um, at the movies I, with Ebert and Schubert <laughs> um, yeah he, he's very divisive or divisive however you say that word um, he he splits the Bond fandom mm. I think you either love him or hate him I think it's very similar to uh, George Lazenby mm. uh, it's hard for me because he is it's it's in one way it's harder and in another way it's easier to judge Dalton because he's only got two films so there's mm. only two films to Short judge him tenure. so you've got only two films to go good or bad. Did you hit it or did you not? Yeah. Mm. But then I think that's also a disadvantage to him because 
pretty much every other Bond excepting Lazenby did at least four. Had time to evolve. Mm. And you really can see a journey mm. in, in each actor's uh, you know, career as Bond. Mm. Um, I think it's a fantastic actor. It's fun, as I get older, it, similarly to, um, to Roger Moore, as I get older, the more I appreciate with Dalton. I think this film has some sensationally good uh, action scenes. Okay. There's a particular fight scene uh, between a henchman and uh, an MI6 agent um, that is, I think, from memory, is bloody exceptional. Mm. Um, Some of the stunts in this are instantly iconic. Mm. There are a lot of things in this film that when I think about them, I, I do remember struggling with. I don't want to say what they are just yet because I don't want to colour what you're going into. Sure, sure. Uh, so I shouldn't ramble on for too much. I remember liking Dalton, but again, I'm really nervous to see what you guys think of. The one thing I do want to ask before we, before we start watching the film mm-hmm. is you've both said that you don't think he's going to have any problem with the, uh, with the fights, with yeah. the action scenes. What is it about him... I mean, because you've really only seen him in pictures, I guess. What is it about him that gives you that uh, impression? Because I've got to say that as a kid, Mm. he was the one that I always looked at in the pictures and I went, oh, he's the least convincing of the fighters. I think I I kind of summed it up in that um, I feel he's going to sell the truth of the action. I don't know what that is exactly, but I think... Oh, like the fear and that. The the truth of the action, not necessarily that he'll he'll hold a gun in the most convincing way or whatever, but I just think that I'm going to be with him mm. rather than watching Bond. Okay. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Maybe it's just his face. That's interesting. But, um, I think yeah. it's to do with the seriousness. Yeah. I don't know, the, the, the kind of... If you're going to be serious, you better be bloody good at the action. Yeah, yeah. and maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe I associate the seriousness with a kind of ruthlessness mm. or a coldness where I think, oh, he's kind of up for a fight. He's a Bond that's kind of up for a, a good fight. Yeah. Um, but as we've learnt, he's quite tall. He's quite uh, Very tall. physically uh, commanding. He's, uh, he's ready to take on some henchmen. I think he is. Well, gentlemen, I think no more need be said before we actually watch the bloody thing. <laughs> um, so I th- guess it's time to pop in the Blu-ray of 1987's The Living Daylights. gentlemen we have just finished watching 1987's the living daylights who wants to jump in here it excited the living daylights out of me i'll tell you that much gee i was very i was pleasantly surprised once again as was i yeah Mm. yeah i i think um look just off the top of my head dalton i liked the authenticity Mm. you know dalton breathed authenticity into this part for me um i really liked well look you know what i think he did handle the one-liners pretty well he handled he them differently many of them well i think i actually think he had quite a few I, I, yeah, yeah i think, he, I think but it was the way does... he did it exactly mm. it was sort of you know again tapped into the authenticity of it mm. like he's... he commented there at the end it wasn't a roger moore delivery it wasn't a connery delivery it was he's not calling else. attention to it no, no. he's no. actually kind of um he's playing them as if 
you would yes. in real life. Yeah. 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 I, most of my preconceived notions were off the mark. Um, I, I, yeah, I really loved him. I really loved the style of the film. I really loved its elegance. Um, very well paced and plotted. Mm. Uh, compelling villains. It oh, yeah. was. Yes. It was a really. Di- I th- I think I said during the, the the film itself. It was a different type of James Bond, but James Bond. Mm. It was yeah. still a James Bond film. It still had the DNA, but it was willing to. I think I would best kind of sum it up in my head as the Cold War Bond. It it, it seemed to really feed on that energy of, mm. of secrecy and and um, the Cold War aesthetic, mm. the the cold sharp look to some of the footage. It was all very Cold War-y, mm. you know? But, yeah. Mm. And still very stylish, you know? Yes. I think there was a little word there in the preamble about how, oh, is he going to... You know, pull off the style of Bond. Absolutely. Well, the yeah. elegance of the film itself helps, helps that, helps for that. Sure. Big but time. there were yeah. so many times where we all commented on the outfits. Mm, yeah. You know, oh, the cut of that suit, the pattern on that tie, whatever it might have been. Very stylish. It's very stylish. I gotta say, watching that, every time I watch this film, it goes up and up and up and up in my estimation mm. and Dalton goes up and up and up in my estimation. He's a really good Bond. This yes. is, mm. yeah, he's an f- amazing Bond. Remind me a lot of Craig. A lot of mm. Craig. Yeah. And, and it's funny because when this film came out, he was really heavily criticised because a lot of people, we were in the 80s, we'd mm. just come off 14 years of more, mm. who was, you know, quips and one-lines, uh, one-liners, sorry, and where also the action hero of the time was kind of your Stallone, your Schwarzenegger, yeah. mm. you know, a lot of one-liners in that, a lot of cheesy kind of stuff. I don't think Dalton deserved any of that criticism no. that he got in the 80s. I think he was an he amazing... Was ahead of the time. Uh, yeah. Way ahead of the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, good 20 years almost ahead of the uh, ahead of his time. Yeah. I, I, I love this film. I actually think it's one of my favourite Bond films. Mm. Um, well, he kind of, for me, took on your mantra, uh, Brandon, when you talk oh, yeah. about the stunts. He did it for real. He it, plays it for real. As an actor, from an acting perspective... Yeah. What's the truth of this situation? What's the truth of the uh, of the environment I'm in and the relationships that I have? And it wasn't necessarily calling too much attention to, you know, uh, a punny line or a, or a, you know a very clever remark or anything like that. It was like no, he was embodying the man and the time and the situation he was in. Yeah, well, it's very much what you were saying, Darby, at the at the start, where you were like. Um, He's going to play, like you just mentioned then, he's going to play the truth of mm. an action scene, whether mm. it's intense fear mm. or rage or, mm. you know. He felt really human. Mm. Yeah. Really, really human. And I really felt the love. I felt that love story between him and Kara. It was, it was a slow burn of a relationship, but you could see a genuine affection mm. and curiosity and eventual fondness and, and love and for each and other. And mistrust as and well. Yeah, I've got that beautiful mm. sequence of them racing through the snow in the car and her kind of slowly realising who this mysterious man actually is. Mm. You know, yeah. he's kind of brushing off, oh yeah, safety glass and all, very well, all and the mod can, cons. And she's like, yeah. wait a minute, what's going on here? 
It's a beautiful relationship that evolves. And you can really tell is. that Dalton's leading it too. You can tell that mm. that um, you know he was as much directing himself as John Glenn was in in as much mm. as a sense as you could see that she was feeding off what he was bringing to the mm. scene and she was staying put in his world. Yeah, if that made yeah. sense. Yeah, you know, they were all everyone that was opposite him. Scenes without him, they became a slightly different thing. But any scene with him in it was his way yeah it, it's funny you say that because you can tell um it, it, it the best scene work is between actors who kind of vibe off of each other quite well mm. and every actor that has a scene with dalton mm. that's their best work it's a really it's a it's a real testament to the actor isn't it when absolutely when, when you have those actors that elevate people in the scene where you know you hear these people that work with people like Dol- uh, with um, sorry De Niro and uh, you know all of the kind of oh, classic yeah. actors that go, I, he made me act better. Yeah, and you get that sense from Dalton in these scenes. There's beautiful scenes that last quite a long time. You know, I, I'm thinking of the scene with the um, with the mistress in the hotel room, and oh, Dalton man. appears with the with the silencer, and you know that the beautiful tension that's, that's crafted through there. And, th- and those scenes really, they really travel. Emotionally, they really travel. And eventually he's, Bond sort of captured there towards the end. Um, but it carries and he holds, he holds, he's got such a wonderful presence on screen. But it is, it's very different to what we've seen before. It yeah. is very different. But it didn't alienate me. No. No. It wasn't too foreign that we kind of didn't know where we were or what this was. There mm. were still fingerprints of Bond, mm. and I'm still determined to find out what that is. Mm. Even though we've seen all of these different actors and so many different directors and people that have collaborated to create these final films, there's still some kind I've of thread. I've got to say, I think a big part of it is the production design and yeah. and, and the camera style. I think that's, that's what's linking a lot of these films together for mm-hmm. me, is that if you look at the architecture in the background of a room, look at the way the lines are leading the eye, mm-hmm. you look at the patience of the camera, mm-hmm. you know, you look at the, 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 the favourability of blocking over, over cutting, you know. Yeah. It's, yes, it's, 100%. It's, that's all Bond for me. That's right. all Bond for You me. let the actor dictate the sort of movement as opposed to the camera doing a lot of the movement would you suggest well or the editor doing the the, the editor doing yeah. movement yeah right. let the let the movement play out i mean right. it's all very much done with the director you yeah. know because you, you pan over this way and you know an actor's going to end up in a close-up and then you stay in the same shop pan a little mm. bit right and then we're in a nice new master for the second it's quite economic in that sense economic you're really getting a lot out of the shot harder to execute yes yeah it's it's not that thing of shooting for coverage no. yeah. you know they haven't overshot everything mm. which i think helps keep the performances alive too because mm. i can't imagine that they had an exorbitant amount of takes mm. you know like mm. these things take forever to mm. shoot mm. it's yeah. shot on film mm. and you know there's a lot of money behind these films mm. but there's not a lot of room for error yeah and it's a thing with acting too, you know, where it's like you want to be able to play the whole scene through. It gives mm. you that opportunity as an actor to ride the emotional wave of the scene, you know, that it go that it goes through its twists and turns, and you're able to see the, all of those different colours in the performance. And the cuts become necessary. Yeah. You know, rather than a flight of fancy. Yeah. And I wonder. It's funny because we're watching the first film of each Bond. Mm. But we're also the directors of each of these films. It's, I mean, we've got Terence Young in Doctor No, who established the Bond kind mm. of franchise. Uh, then we went to Peter Hunt, 
who had served as editor for most of the films, then promoted to being um, director. The editor of Honor Majesty's Secret Service was John Glenn, Mm -hmm. who directed The Living Daylights. Mm. And then Live and Let Die, directed by Guy Hamilton, who was very much a part of... He directed Goldfinger, kind of created the classic formula. Mm. He directed three other films, including Live and Let Die. Mm. There's this thing of what we've been talking about quite a bit in the podcast is the the notion of the family. Mm. And I wonder if... You know, kind of watching how these films are constructed, how much of that ties into the fact that the people who get promoted to become director in this original 20 films, or Mm. essentially the original kind of 16 films, um, are very much like they've trained underneath people who have already perfected the Bond Mm. um, formula. You know, Peter Hunt had worked underneath... Hamilton and, and Young. Mm. And John Glenn, again, had worked underneath Hunt. Mm. I wonder how much that factors into it. Because these these early Bond films, the first 15, 16, have such a unique flavour. Mm. And they all kind of work and talk with each other. Mm. Which I think from... GoldenEye kind of has that similar flavour because there's a lot of returning behind-the-scenes people involved mm. but but it is that thing of the the craig era has a very different feel it does yeah. to um to to this apart from i would wager casino royale mm. which had peter lamont's set design it still had you know phil mayhew as the cinematographer mm. all the stunt guys are the same i know that the stunt team are definitely still the same on all the craig bond films and i think that's probably one of the only kind of bits from the old uh, the old world that have mm. kind of carried over and still feel Bondian. Mm. I wonder how much that factors in. Yeah, well, I think in general that kind of the late, mid to late 90s, <coughs> pardon me, the mid to late 90s became a different landscape visually. Uh, it, there was a sort of this shackled feeling that I think a lot of the newer directors in that time felt from the traditionalist sensibility. You know, this is the way it's always been done, so I'm going to do it different. It was. It really mm. became a new movement in the 90s, the overcutting, the, the overshooting, the overproduction. Um, I don't, I, not in recent memory, the Pierce Brosnan films, but I think they suffer from that a little bit as well. Well, they, they definitely have... I mean, most of the Bond films are guilty of this, but they, uh, they definitely follow the the trends I think of the 90s yes absolutely Um, and and I guess a part of that is they were very financially successful Mm. but they really had to be Mm. because if a Bond film wasn't particularly after the six year hiatus between Licence to Kill and Goldeneye Mm. the writing was on the wall um, for the Bond franchise that it's like are you still relevant? like you've been going for near on 40 years Mm. And there was always that kind of pressure. There was the sort of Damocles kind of hanging over yeah. the Bond franchise's head. Mm. Um, I just would love to see a return to that traditionalist sensibility. Because it's not... Traditionalist doesn't mean archaic. Or conservative. Or yeah. conservative. Yeah. They had figured it out and then we've strayed. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. The films that try to pull apart the formula too much, mm. you feel it. They become either too skinny or too bloated. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
But this film, The Living Daylights, mm. I think it, I, it's damn near perfect for me. Mm. And it's also proof of concept for the fact that, I mean, I know the 80s is a while ago now, but it's proof of concept that the traditionalist approach works for modern cinema. Mm. Because 87, you know, cinema was pretty, it was changing. Very they, much so. They yeah. still stuck to their guns. And it still worked. And this mm. still works today. Still works. Yeah. Watching and this so today. Do all the old ones. Yeah. Older ones. It, it's funny. Yeah. Though, yeah. You watch them, and they do not feel like old movies. No. I would say the only one that feels a bit like an old movie that we've watched so far is the oldest one, Doctor yeah. No. Yeah. But even then, it's mm. still bloody enjoyable. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, uh, my hat is all the way off. For Timothy Dalton in this, <laughs> I think he is. <laughs> I, he is a handsome bloody man. Oh, he really is. Eyes. And I believe every single second that he is on screen. Mm. When he's falling in love with Cara Milorka, oh the way he looks at her, mm. the way they, they, they he's, he's a sweetheart. It's amazing. Yeah, yes, you see heart. that tenderness mm. um, that that I don't think was as present in a lot of the Roger Moores. It mm. definitely wasn't present in the Conneries. Mm. Um, a little bit of it was in Lazenby. Mm-hmm. When Lazenby is in that um, yeah, that kind of barn and he tells mm. Tracy that he loves her. Mm. I mean, I had flashes of that and I had flashes forward to Bond and Vesper on the beach yeah. in Casino Royale. Yeah. I have no armor left. Mm. You've stripped it from me. Mm. And I had... That when they're enjoying themselves at the carnival, oh. that was great. Which you said I didn't think I'd ever want to see Bond at a carnival, <laughs> and yet I am fucking loving this. <laughs> I'm so glad Bond's at a carnival. Yeah. It was amazing. It was yeah, amazing. It really was. Yeah. I think him letting letting the wall down. I, th- I thought we got a Bond that was so real, very real. Mm. He allowed himself to be to be vulnerable with her, and at the same time, something that stood out to me. Was, was a bond that holds grudges. Mm. You know, he really cared about the MI6 guys that had been dispatched. Oh, the double O's you know, at the start. The double O's yeah. and, and the poor fella that gets you Saunders. know gu- guillotined yeah. what in a glass door. Death, and goodness. what a journey, too, for those two characters yeah, to be yeah. really kind of um, adversarial. I mean, they're two very different types. Bond is very instinctual Absolutely. and plays by... The, you know his rules, his own, own rules, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the guy who plays by the rules. Exactly. Even mm-hmm. quotes them. Yes. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we should talk about the pre-title sequence, seeing as though we just touched mm-hmm. on it. Um, it's one of my favourite pre-title sequences in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Seeing other double O's, I'm always a fan I of seeing that. double O's. Yeah. I love seeing the extended network. That yeah. it's not. MI6 is not just M Money Penny Q and 007. Yeah. <laughs> there are other double O's. I've got to say, I've got to say, I didn't love the pre-title sequence. You didn't? Okay, no. tell yeah. us why. Well, just I think based on what uh, I said at the top about you know that first scene being pivotal for a new Bond, mm. I didn't see how it um, put a line under him as a character. I didn't really see anything like more Moore's first scene in that you know with the the other the Italian agent and M comes to his house and the coffee machine yes. that is more you know in, yeah. in a nutshell mm. I didn't see that scene 
as being Dalton in a nutshell, based on what happened in the rest of the film. Mm. Okay, yeah, but, that, that's yeah. that's int- yeah, I I get you. I it's funny it because for me, it seems like it could have been any other scene, right? You know, for me, it it's such a. Uh, I think it is quite an mm. underline for him, sure, because he is um, he's out there. He's you know he's getting the job done, and it, it's that thing of he's he's so bloody capable, mm. and. Um, and almost an action man in it yeah. when he you know realizes what's going on and that the other two double o's are dead without hesitation he is charging for that um, van the or jeep. whatever it is yeah. the jeep yeah. that's uh, that's kind of hurtling out of here <laughs> um i i think it's amazing i think he has one of the best opening shots of a of a bond oh, when yeah. when he uh, the, turn around he's yes yeah. as the other double O falls down it's yeah. either double O four or double O two I can't remember um, of falling down the cliff and camera pans in he look, gets the look over the shoulder oh my god it's one of the best opening shots good of opening. a bond good good introductory shot um, and I just love how capable he is and then it's very neatly buttoned with um, him landing on the ship. On that boat. With the beautiful woman. With the beautiful woman. See, that seems very Bond, but not very Dalton to me. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. I would Mm. agree. You would expect to see more, perhaps, landing on a boat with a beautiful woman going, More with the two O's, or...? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, two O's, two O's. Yeah, I felt the opening sequence was very much uh, Bond as one of the gang. A little unremarkable. Yeah. Um, to a point, uh, you know, just to say, look, yes, that this whole intelligence agency doesn't hinge on my every action, that there's a whole team of double O's here, which I, I did, I did like. And the aerial photography with those guys jumping out of the plane, you know, parachuting over the rock of Gibraltar was just incredible. I was a little let down by his Bond, James Bond. Uh, yeah, I'll agree. I'll agree. It was, there it was is a... brushing it off, but I feel like within that delivery, there lies Dalton in a kind of weird way. It, yeah. It's it's funny you say that because the um, there's a version of the original trailer which is on YouTube, right? Which has an alternate take of him saying Bond, James Bond. That's a better take, oh, right. and I don't know why they didn't use that take. It's much cooler. Mm. Karma, mm. and I think it's I think it's actually more Dalton. Really, mm. I think it sets him up very, very mm. well. Um, I will say the opening sequence certainly establishes Dalton as a absolute daredevil. Ooh, True, yeah. yes, you know he, he is, is actually on the roof. When of you were that saying that jeep. he was, that's all still him on on top of that canvas roof of the jeep. Mm. I mean, he's. He's a physical Bond. He's yeah. an action man Bond. And he insists... It's a nice bit of foreshadowing the, TN, the bombs falling out the back of the... Foreshadowing oh, yes, the, the, really the plane at the, the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Very explosive Bond. Oh, it mm. is. <laughs> so we come out of the pre-title sequence mm. into... I'm really interested to hear what you think about this. We've got the actual title sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a full-on... Maurice Binder one. Yeah, I thought it was uh, uninspired. I don't like this mm, Bond theme. Yeah. I really don't like it. I love it in terms of Barry's orchestration. Yeah. When Barry uses the motifs 
mm. uh, throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I love it. I yeah. love the sound of it. It is classic Barry and it's classic Bond. I think the lyrics to Aha's song are just the worst lyrics mm. in the Bond franchise. It's really it's really hard. This this song actually whenever I think about The Living Daylights, whenever I think about any Bond film, I always kind of think about the the theme mm. and that kind of sends me into the memories of the film. Yeah. This one is really tricky because when I think of The Living Daylights and I think of that theme, I don't have fond memories of that theme and that sometimes makes me go do I like the film? Huh. I can't mm. remember mm. because I know I don't like the song. And then I watch the film and every time I watch this film, I'm just like, far out. That is a brilliant film. Mm. And it's a brilliant theme uh, theme song yeah. that's kind of ruined by AHA's lyrics yeah. and the vocals in it. I just find them so dull and yeah, they're lifeless. Yeah, uninspired. Yeah. Very yeah. unbond. Yeah. The titles themselves are pretty uninspired. Too. I thought it was Morris's quite dated. Work. Yeah. 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 He's done better. Dated. A lot of live action. Yeah. Like, we can really very clearly see who these people are and it mm. does feel, it feels a bit TV. It does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a it they don't age well. No. I think the title sequence is a real disappointment. Mm. I think I I've, I've got to like the opening lyrics of this um uh theme song which I want I'm going to say them now okay. because I want to see if you can help me because I have no idea how they have any relation any relation whatsoever to this film. Mm. It's Hey driver, where are we going? I swear my nerves are showing. Set my hopes up way too high. The livings in the way we die. What the hell does that have to do with this film? Well, I mean, Hey There Driver, Where Are We Going seems to, for me, immediately um, took me to um, Cara and Bond's kind of introductory scene together, driving through the snow. And she's kind of learning about who he is. And also in the plane. But when he's piloting the plane, there's then, a bit of then that. why is it a man singing that song? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I, I I think this is a preconceived notion of mine. Mm. I find that uh, the the choice of the singer is really key in terms of whose perspective the song is kind of from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like Goldfinger. You know my name. You know my name. It's Bond, yeah. and it's a young kind of gruff. Bond, yeah. perfect for getting Chris Cornellian. Yeah. Uh, Shirley Bassey with Goldfinger. It's another woman who has fallen into Goldfinger's trap being yes. like, be careful, mm. this guy is the devil. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. You know, and I think the Bond live themes that... Bond. Live and let die, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think the themes that don't work don't sing from that perspective. And from this one, I just kind of go... Whose perspective is this song from? If it is Kara, why is the lead singer of Aha doing it? I just find it really... It's the biggest letdown of this film for me. Yeah. It's the pre-title sequence... It's the title sequence, my apologies, and, and the song. For me, this all speaks to the fact that this film takes a little while to warm up. It does. It takes yeah. a while. For me, it takes a little while before it gets into its groove. Not that I was against it. No. I was still ready to go. Yeah. But I agree with you 100%. It took me a little while to figure out what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then once once they were in... I think as soon as he takes that shot at her 
gun instead of her oh, herself herself yes. I yeah. think that's when I was really yeah, in yeah, it yeah yeah yep. mm. yeah I, I agree look the pre-title sequence for me is a personal favourite and I think it's a personal favourite too because um, it's funny because we've jumped from opening film to opening film to opening film mm. knowing what has come before directly before this film mm-hmm. the pre-title sequence feels like a bit of a reassurance to um you know, the audience of the time to be like, hey, we got a bit silly there. <laughs> We're grounded again. We're going back to this. Yeah, wow. It We're doing that. And Gee. Like, it must have been a real jarring that. experience for the audience that were familiar with all the films leading up to this are going, oh, 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 we're getting real again. What was the last film before this one? A View to a Kill. Roger right. Moore's last one. He was 50... That's one with Christoph Walken. Yeah, he was 57. What year did Christoph, Christoph Walken. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. 1985. So only two years before. And it's directed by John Glenn as well. Oh, right. And you could not get two Bond films more dissimilar in tone, kind of back to back. Maybe the other two that I could think of would be Majesties and Diamonds. Right. They would be... Or, no, <laughs> Die Another Day in Casino Royale is a, re- <laughs> is a really kind of good comparison yep. to where we've just come from. Uh, okay. I think that's kind of... But in the 80s, the audiences apparently... I mean, they still went and saw it. It was a box office success. Mm. But he wasn't instantly kind of... Um, it wasn't an instant mm. kind of uh, success or recognition for Dalton or his take on Bond Mm. Um, so you've said that the plot grabbed you Darby around the time of um, Georgi's supposed defection yes where was it for you I I would agree actually I think it would be somewhere around that sequence of um, uh, well even a little bit when we first get introduced to the theatre you know I was going oh I wonder if you know a member of the orchestra is going to have a a, a weapon you did say the, that out loud yeah <laughs> you know, oh, I was thinking someone was going to get shot from the orchestra someone's got it in their trumpet or something you know um, and then once Bond whips out this massive Dragunov sniper <laughs> rifle with a huge gonk of a scope on it I mean it looks like he was shooting at the International Space Station <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was I was in again we, there was a comment made in the screening that it was spy shit Yes. You know, it felt yeah. like a stakeout. He had his offside of there spotting. Um, and I love the little gag of, you know, Bond adjusting the, you know, uh, the night vision goggles. You know, he's like, oh, oh yes. yes. Come on, yeah. he's the capable, yeah, that, Bond's yeah. the capable one. And he's well, Saund- yeah, Saunders is a station chief. He's yeah, not, he's a, not in the field. Uh, he's not an agent. Yeah, yeah. That I was a great, that that's when I first felt introduced to Dalton's Bond. Yeah. Was when he entered that hotel yeah. room and he was in control, but calm. Yes. But quippy. But you know, he yeah. was kind of that was yeah. that that felt like his opening. That was when I kind of yeah. oh, we're in the groove, and yeah. then that whole sequence with Georgi kind of getting out, yeah, and through the pipes and everything. I loved it, loved it. Yeah, I, look, I agree. The Preton sequence is one of my favourites, but I think where you are really introduced to Dalton is in that. Yeah. And fun fact, and you can fact check this if you like, <laughs> um, that is pretty much beat for beat what Fleming wrote. Wow. Yeah, in The Living Daylights. It's all about a defection. Mm. Uh, and um, there's a, a, a girl that, that tries to yeah. take him out. And th- that's all beat for beat. Apart from the, the going through the gas tunnels and that, that's a bit of a... There's a, a stigma about, around 
uh, Cold War based films I feel Do you think nowadays Or back then uh, Nowadays Nowadays Yeah right. I think there's sort of a, a, a stigma I don't know Maybe it was the Doctor Who era that was dealing with similar stuff. Maybe it was the... I'm not sure, but I just am aware of some sort of... Oh, it's a Cold War film. Mm. You know, there was... Well, it's funny you say that because... it works so well. It it does. And it's funny because 1995's GoldenEye Mm. really hammers that point home. Mm. Um, They they say out loud, um, M says to him, I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold, Cold War. War. Yeah. There's this big thing of because it was the first Bond film to come out pre uh, post Cold War. Mm. That all the Bond films prior, because a lot of Roger Moore's stuff is very Cold War. Yes, sure. a, a lo- most of Connery's stuff is is definitely kind of coloured by. Yeah, um, that whole time it's that, really in the shadow of mm. of the US Soviet yeah. um, conflict. Yeah, it really they really nailed it. I just thought. The Cold War didn't aspect didn't seem contrived. It was central to the plot and the characters yeah. and the sort of wheeling and dealing nature of the plot. They just really worked it mm. yeah. nicely. Yeah, it's so grounded. This film, yeah, it mm. is. I will say, I've seen this film so many times. I I struggle a little bit to get my head around what exactly Whitaker's plan is. Yeah, I know that it has to do with playing the British, the West off against the the Soviets. Mm. Yeah. And that he's um, he's uh, he's selling weapons to them, and he's said. also buying heroin off the mujahideen. Like he's got a lot of fingers. Yeah, and Koskov's defection is a is a double, triple, quadruple bluff. Yeah, and yes. like, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of that going on. Is, yes, I was concerned when that started to rear its head. That sort of plotting, because yeah. I struggle with that. I think I've spoken about it. Yes, you previously have. Yeah. about. Yeah, but somehow in amongst all that. John Glenn managed to keep the audience centered. Yeah, I wasn't even confused. if even if you don't completely understand the plot, you're not left bewildered no, by it. No. You're kind of like I know that Bond has to stop these people. Yes. yes. And what they're doing, I've seen enough to know that it, it's not good. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Why Whitaker wants a whole bunch of heroin, I do not know. Could not tell you. Um yeah, but I was I was keeping track. Mm, I, was keeping, I, was I certainly wasn't. Yeah, befuddled completely. No, I knew who the bad guys were. Mm. I was starting to get a little bit concerned, like you, that there's too many players here. Yeah, and there's too many plots and plans and double turns and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but I think for the most part, I, I kept track of everything. Yeah, yeah. But not in. I, I, yeah, like I said, I couldn't go into meticulous detail no. about this is exactly no. what's going no, on I. and I don't think many Bond fans can mm. I think for people who, who this is it, you know even the people who this is their favourite film mm. do struggle a little bit with how complex and convoluted yeah. this which is the is. Cold War it is the Cold War well that's true it definitely is yeah mm. and I mean look it definitely felt let me think I think it did so far it felt the most Espionage, yes, you know, yeah, of the yes. Bond films. There's a lot of no one can be trusted. 
Mm. There's people working for the other side. There's people working for our side. We, you know, and it wasn't like in Live Let Die where everyone had a, a microphone back going, to face. It was more, yeah, yeah, it was more grounded. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. It was. Yeah. There was more reality to it. Yeah, but there was. It was very much like everyone's wheeling and dealing. Everyone's doing business. Like the scene in the desert with the Mujahideen. It's like, mm. well, we're actually fighting you guys because you're, you know, the Soviets are invading our country, but we're going to sell you heroin so, so we, can we can buy arms yes. to fight you. Yeah, everyone. There's always a backdoor kind of business deal going on. Even people not being able to trust Bond. Yes. You know, Saunders not knowing where Bond sits. You know, he yeah. kind of plays by his own rules and yeah. that not sitting well with him. Pushkin not knowing who the hell Bond is really working for. Kara Getting not... told that Bond's a KGB mm. agent. Yeah. Or, you know. She gets really stiffed she by... She really does. She, and Bond really plays her for a lot of this, mm. uh, which kind of leads to the complexities of that relationship because mm. you can yeah. see him falling for her. Mm. And still having to be like, but she is my only lead yes. to get into whatever's going yeah. on here. He doesn't tell her everything. He keeps his. And I have to. I have to use this yeah. relationship. Bond's instinct is really present in this film, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. and his cunning. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's something I really appreciate. I, I, it, it's funny whenever I think about whenever I read the novels, mm. I always have Dalton. Mm-hmm. Or Craig in my head. Right. They're the only two actors that I ever think about when I read the novel. Sure. How do you think Fleming would have felt about that? I mean, it's a bit of a weird question, I know, but you know, seeing his Bond up there, I wonder if it would have felt like his Bond. Or... I don't know. I think we're twenty, we're twenty-three years on from his death, yeah. um, and twenty. Five years on from the first film, he wasn't happy with the choice of casting of Connery at yeah, first. It I didn't wasn't think until so. I think watching those early films come out, he probably would have been a little bit pissed off. Yeah, well, he wanted a, a David Niven type or a Hoagie Carmichael. Right, that was his um, his type of actor, the real Oxford yeah, gentleman. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how he would have responded to Dalton. I think he would have loved aspects of him. Mm. Um, he really came around to Connery. His wife, I think his wife at the time, or his only wife, I should say, um, she she kind of convinced him that Connery was great because she was like, the guy moves like a panther and, mm-hmm. you know, mm. look at him. Mm. Like, mm. amazing. I did hear that Fleming eventually based Bond's heritage off Connery because yes. he was Scottish in, uh, in Honor Majesty's Secret Service one of the, the last novels that he wrote before he, he passed he, he puts that little nod in which they, um, they kind of touch on uh, within, the, uh, within the film of Honor Majesty's mm. um, I, I don't know how much more I could talk about the plot no I think that's no not without getting into character and villainy yeah, yeah. I, I guess the the locations yeah, in this film. I was uh, just about to say, it's very closely linked. This yeah. film really moves around a lot. It does. Is this the first time we have seen Bond in Africa? As a group, yes. No. But uh, As a group, yes. In our viewing schedule at the moment, but, but he has not, previously been to he, Africa. He has been to Africa. He's been to Egypt. Wow. Uh, he goes to Egypt in the most famous of Roger Moore's which I'm blanking the spy who loved me I right. don't know why that went. I only wanted to say on a majesty's secret service <laughs> then and I don't know why well, um, okay. yeah uh, the spy who loved me he's in Africa mm. I can't off the top of my Austria head Austria was think. a highlight for me 
yeah. Austria. The, the Vienna yeah. sequence is, mm. is brilliant. I love the stuff in Bratislava. I love the um, stuff in Afghanistan. Oh, that is God. sensational. Bond of Arabia. Yeah. God, this is beautifully shot. It's mm. a great it is palette of just the beautiful scope. Really, I mean, talk about travel log. I mean, my goodness me. Mm. The beautiful places that Bond visits. Uh, yeah, the locations. Yeah. Were we were in the desert yeah. and in the snow in the same film. In the same yes, film. Yes, yeah. And, and in you the re- tropics. You remarked, at, uh, you remarked at one point um, how you were like, when we got to the Mujahideen's um, harem or whatever the, yeah. the kind of base yeah, is called, you were like, I did not think we would end up here, <laughs> but I'm not disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I just amazing. never thought I'd see Dalton in a, um, a turban. turban. The, yeah. But it just was great. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I agree. I think Vienna is my favourite mm. part of this. Seeing mm. those those guys in the, the blue coats. Oh, the and, coats with yeah. the wi- powdered wigs. Oh, and it was almost going back beautiful. to the 1700s, you know. The, all of that. The, the palaces. carriage. The, and the recital halls. Yeah, the, the carriage. That opera house that my they go into. Mm. So amazing. Stunning. So is the one in Bratislava. But mm. that, that mm. one that they go to twice mm. uh, in Vienna at the end of the film and, and when... Uh, they meet up with Saunders again in the middle. Mm. And I appreciate, Stunning. and I remarked at the time, this this whole sort of reoccurring imagery that pops up in Bond films, I think pops up in most of the great Bond films, is that this strange peripheral large piece of art or performance going on. Mm. You know, and that, that yes. made, it, made a little appearance there with, yeah, the, with the, the outdoor ballroom dancing going mm. on as the, as the carriage rolls past. You know, whether it's an opera or a concert of some sort or a play, there's Bond always kind of passing. Or bit of culture. Bit of culture. <laughs> you've got to put a bit of culture. Yeah, you've got to have a bit of culture <laughs> in a Bond film. No, I, I agree with you. I think that's a... It's a nice touch. It's a hallmark of the Bond films that I think kind of goes unremarked upon. Yeah, no well. one acknowledges it. He's no. not even necessarily an active participant as an audience member. He's not there watching. I mean, he might be stalking some henchman or something through the, you know, the, the backstage area, but there's some grand piece of mm. art going on. Yeah, mm. it's, it's not what you think of when you think of what are the Bond tropes. No. Yeah. Like, it's not a number one up there. Mm. But... God, you love it when you when see it. Yeah, yeah. And when it's not there, you do miss it. Yeah, Except for Quantum. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's I, the best scene. I love the, the, best the opera scene, scene yeah, in Quantum. Scene. I actually think that's um, mm. probably... That section of the film, again, mm. in Austria, mm. is, is, uh, is a highlight for me. Mm. One, one thing about... Oh, and it's kind of blowing the lines into vehicles, perhaps. One little naff little bit I thought was it was it was a tad naff in, in reference to locations. Was oh, yeah. I was loving the 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 snow ski chase with the car through the through the snow oh, and everything like that. Yes. The car getting caught in the timber shed and driving out onto the ice there. I liked him getting out of it, but driving around with this in a shed, in a shed <laughs> across the ice. Was a little on the nose. <laughs> that was for too me. much for you. It was a little bit too much for me. So that that level of campy is too much. Yeah, for me it was. It's well, funny. look, I don't think well, I in would... a film that is grounded. Yeah, that's the mm. thing. It did yeah. feel out of place. Yeah. I think if it, if there were other elements like that that had been established, mm. and look, we knew that the car had. had uh, I don't want to get into vehicles just yet, but <laughs> we know there were gadgets involved early on. We can talk about cars. I was I'm happy happy to, happy to do cars. that. Happy to happy to have gadgets in the car. Love. Love the gadgets in the car. Yeah. But in a Dalton film, having this man 
drive around in a dicky shed, <laughs> you know, out on the ice. I, I, look, I even loved the fact I didn't that, the, pay attention to that the wheel was cutting a circle into... Oh, you know, no, that, that was great. great. I love that. that was but great. You don't shed, see that in anything else no. but a Bond film. No, exactly, no. exactly. But the shed, for me, Reminded I was me happy to see it go. Boats in Live and Let Die in a way. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, circular yeah, kind of... Yeah, yeah. Yep, Bond chasing the baddies. Well, it's funny you say that. Because there's a very famous deleted scene from this film mm. that I think everyone in the world is glad is a deleted scene. Right. And it's after the fake assassination of Pushkin. Yes. And Bond escapes across the rooftops. After he kind of very uses slow. the antenna to oh, go yeah, down. To flick back oh, to yeah. the... And he goes through the, um, the clotheslines and the, mm, yes. the nonna or whatever, you know, <laughs> is kind of like, hey, you're getting my claws, daddy! <laughs> he then grabs... This is in the deleted scene. Uh-huh. He grabs a rug that is drying, mm-hmm. places it over two power lines... Magic carpet rides. And magic carpet rides down the power lines. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So wait, hang on. He's actually standing up. He's sitting on it, He's cross-legged, and he nods to the people that kind of see him. Oh no. no! I'll no, have no. to show you yeah, it after yeah, we do this. That. Look, maybe I tolerate that from a, a Roger Moore, perhaps. <laughs> well, it feels like a hangover from Roger. It Moore. really does, and, and that's I what I thought the shed. The was. shed, yeah, mm. the shed is definitely a hangover. It was a hangover, yeah. and I, it is that thing of they were still trying to. It was the tough thing of they'd gone from Roger, who mm. really got quite big, quite campy mm. towards the end of his run, particularly in A View to a Kill. Right. And that had still been successful. So I think they were a little bit worried of... If we lose all of that. We can't lose that yeah. fan base as well. Yeah. They were kind of trying to uh, straddle two, two camps. Mm. Um, well, moving into vehicles, if you want to keep yes, going on yes. into vehicles, I mean... This certainly, for me, reinforced uh, the notion that I am completely in love with it and devoted to that uh, Aston, Aston Martin. Martin. Mm. That, for me, it's is a nice car. my favourite car. Yeah. It's a lovely mix between American muscle and European class. Yeah, uh, I love, I love seeing it getting worked on, being mm, yeah. uh, mm. winterfied. That's yeah. very winterized. Winterized, yes. yes. very Brosnan. I love that. Yeah. I love that, and I love all of the, you know, the, the 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 control panel that comes down, and you know, arm disarm, and all of the oh, beautiful and everything. design on that. Mm. And we see it do design. a lot of stuff, you know, launching the rockets and the skis coming out of the side of it, um, and unfortunately, we see it explode. We do. Mm. It's such a shame that mm. that car goes, mm. and it's such a shame. That that car, it's taken thirty three years for us to get that car back because it's going to yeah. appear in no I'm time. So to excited die. to see mm-hmm. it again! I can't wait. I think it suits Dalton so well, and I think it suits Craig mm. so well. Yeah. In that RGT jacket, getting oh. into this new. Mm. Oh yes, I, I like his little uh, his little Audi station wagon that he was driving around in ten years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I noticed the Audi, so I was like getting around in an Audi. It's an odd shape. It's, an odd shape. it's an odd shape. Like, I did bond in a station wagon. I never thought I'd see. <laughs> no, I did remark during it. I was like, Christ, this is the perf- This is when cars got that perfect shape. Yeah. The 80s, they were perfect, and then yeah. that Load Audi, that <laughs> Audi drove through, and I was like, Well, maybe not everything <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> 
I look. I love the little European police cars. Yeah, they were yeah. cool. Yeah, you know, they were real. You could this, see the the DNA that kind of gives Jason, birth to Bourne. Jason Bourne owes a lot to this movie. This particular, this particular Bond. Movie. I, I totally yeah. agree with you. Mm. Yeah, the the coldness. Particularly of that first one, Bourne Identity. Yeah, and oh, I mean, even what about the the rooftop jumping in Ultimatum? Oh yes, Hello, of course, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the kitchen scene with the fighting. Oh with my the, gosh, there's yeah. so much, yeah. so much in it, yeah. Mm. Oh, you're bloody right. Mm. So many different vehicles in this. I mean, really diverse company of uh, transport. You've got all kinds of wacky um, Soviet artillery moving around, lots of tanks and troop transport, and that weird thing that they. Uh, everyone's straddling there through the snow on those big caterpillar oh, uh, yes. things. What all, is that? I don't know what that thing's called. It, it's sort of got, it's got caterpillar track, you know, wheels mm. on the bottom of it, but it's like a weird podium, and all four of them are lined up shooting at the car yeah, that's in front right. of them. Bumping. Um, yeah, move, yeah, 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 getting yeah, jostled yeah. around. Vehicles. And the big, the big planes. And what about uh, his living, breathing vehicles? The horse. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh yes, James Bond on a horse. horse. That was great. Which well, we haven't seen that since Honor Majesties. Uh, was Bond on a horse in Honor Majesties? Yeah, as soon as Louis yes, Armstrong starts right, singing the his lovely song. Uh, and I think we've seen Bond on a horse again. Oh, oh no, no, no. I think I'm confusing that with Never Say Never Again. Uh, oh. In 1983. Okay. I can't remember if... <laughs> yeah. I thought of the horse in Casino Royale, but that's... The... That's Katerina Munro's... Uh, oh, I can't remember her last name. I think it's Munro. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Mm. Um, great horse. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, you cannot go past... There's the, a jet plane in it as well. The jet. Uh, there is the uh, the cargo plane with an yeah. extraordinary stunt. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness um, me! That that when when he kicks all of the heroin bags free and Necros has been dispatched, oh. and the stuntman is being flung up and He's down, yeah. kicked like being on the down. back of a bucking ball. Could have decapitated himself. Well, well, it looks like his head came very, very close to yeah, that platform. And I can't remember what they say in the special features. They talk about that stunt that they were anticipating the fact that it would Will. flap around because it wasn't as heavy. Mm. Yes, um, but they didn't anticipate that it would flap that much, and that he could have been knocked unconscious. Mm. And just dropped. Well, he would have intended though. Surely. No, he wasn't. What? He had a parachute on, so the failsafe was that if he let go, because at the end of each one oh of those uh, shots, they couldn't just climb back in because they were exhausted. Uh, so they just they give would up and have let go. to. They'd have to let go. <gasps> yeah. So they didn't have many takes either to record that because it's so expensive you've got to have another aerial unit you've got to have the stuntmen in there it's extraordinary choreography it's extraordinary but yeah that guy came really really close to to peril but i love how they utilize that real life near mistake and the way that it flings bond in and then they cut to that shot that's clearly the studio but Mm. You know, it, mm. the, it flat, flops kind of bond back in and he somersaults in. He finds the bomb just in time. Mm. It's just brilliant. The, the vehicles in this, they, there is an iconic one. Yes. I think we've finally, finally gotten an iconic one. Apart from, I would say this one kind of harkens back to the Aston Martin that is in Honor Majesties. Similar colour. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, similar yeah, shape. Yeah. I think those two are iconic mm-hmm. Bond um, Bond vehicles. The one he's driving at the very beginning. The end. The very end. 
Oh, with Tracy. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think at the beginning as when well. When he pulls actually. up the yeah, beach, yes, and Tracy. then when he pulls up the hotel next oh, to yeah. Tracy's oh. red mm. uh, red car, mm. I think they're our two. They're the two first iconic mm-hmm. uh, Bond vehicles we've, we've come across. I guess we've we just touched on one of the most impressive ones in the film, but the stunts in this oh. film mm. are brilliant. They yeah. Are. Yeah, really brilliant. I mean, I know you're not a huge fan of the the pre-title sequence, but the fight on top oh, of that work. jeep, it's yeah. great stunt work. Mm. Bond getting into the jeep, oh. the fist fight in there, mm. going off the side of the cliff. Yeah. I, I just love the storytelling too in the choreography that for Bond to be able to open that parachute, he would need an updraft coming through the front windscreen. So just before he deploys the parachute, he kicks, kicks the, the windscreen wind. out. As they're falling, the wind comes up. It's enough to grab his parachute and for him to go straight up. It's, it's just The level brilliant. of detail is, is really advanced. And fantastic photography of it as well. Mm. How the hell did they do that parachute on fire? Oh, I know. Mm. How can you have the parachute smoking for real as and you're dropping like down? He, he, that, there's no resistance on that. He is just dropping. Yeah, it's amazing. It's really dirty fighting too. Again, uh, 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 one thing the Bourne films owe a lot to. I think we touched on it earlier, but you know, I, again, we think of that amazing kitchen fight. Um, between uh, Mr. Necros, L- and Necros, Mr. Levi Pants, and uh, one of the, one of the <laughs> Levi Pants. <laughs> sounds like a bungalow. Yeah. <laughs> the name's Pants. Levi Pants. <laughs> but you know, throwing the boiling pan across the room. Oh, using great! Burning mm. on the hot plate grill. There, it's really scrappy. It's real fighting, and I think that that in itself is an evolution in in filmmaking to a certain extent, where the choreography goes from, you know, big flailing kind of arms, whoop-pow, kapash, kind of, you know, yeah. crazy mm. Batman fighting, mm. um, to this is real life. What I, what I loved about the stunts was that they were so uh, woven into, or weaved? Mm. Into, woven. Yeah. Woven into the narrative that they didn't necessarily call attention to themselves. Mm. You know, the, the, the stunts are actually kind of... There's a lot of smaller stunts that are simple kind of yeah. jumps and kicks or whatever. But they really just uh, appear due to the narrative yes. and dissipate due to the narrative. Yes. Whereas, you know, I feel like Live and Let Die that we just watched, it was like, and here's a stunt scene. Here's the fight scene. Exactly. He, yes. Yeah. It yep. was more... And I found myself at times going, geez, there hasn't been an action scene in a while. But in then, this? Yeah, in this. Oh, yes. But then I was like, oh, no, there has been. You know, it it's was built into the story. It's built yeah. into the story yeah, really you're totally well. Totally right. Yeah, really, really yeah. well. Yeah, not so on the nose, not so um, staccato. You know, yes. in its rhythm, it really mm. it's a lot more fluid. Mm. Mm. What would you say would be your favourite stunt? If if you had to say what is the the stunt in this film, Jeez. what would it be? I mean, the fact that those two men, whoever they were were dangling out the back of that cargo sh- uh, yeah, I cargo in, I plane. Was in awe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that's just beyond. beyond. Mm. I mean, that's we we were impressed when when Mission Impossible released the video of Tom Cruise hanging on the outside of of a plane. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Those fellas were, were doing it years before. Yeah. Flapping around out the back over the over the mountains of Afghanistan. Like, mm. just amazing. I liked yeah. a lot of the simple um, 
sort of inclusions. Like I think we both remarked when when they they get in the jeep and fall off the back of the plane and then they go down this ditch and you get this you, you're given this like two shot the front of the truck looking back into them and you can see the spray of dust oh yes. it was yes. the simple stunts that really yeah. caught my attention but like the little moments they don't linger on them or glorify them they're just kind of again woven mm. but we, you look at them as an individual standalone endeavor and it's like that's not easy easy to get or like her falling off the horse you know, oh, or, yeah. you know all, all those little bits and pieces that are so yeah really elegant really, yeah. really elegant yeah I, I, I struggle to decide what is my favourite stunt in yeah. this film because I mean I love the Aston Martin chase on the ice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't mind the, the hut <laughs> because they did it for real I think I think I, I definitely my bias is that you can do whatever you want in these stunt sequences mm-hmm. as long as you don't CGI it yeah. if you CGI it or if you kind of blue screen it yep I'm not interested. Yep. If you can do it for real, yep. I'll give you kudos on that. I sure. want to see people putting their necks on the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I, I think one of my favourite vehicle-related stunts, although the plane is also a vehicle, obviously, but um, was when Bond... Uh, laser beams the police oh, car. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant! That so good. <laughs> Cuts the car in half, yeah. and the little box cutter skids forward. Yeah. The fact that they managed to to engineer that whole mechanism was just that fantastic. was very cool. Again, a small, simple one, but one where you're like, that would have been yeah, an and a little ordeal. bit campy, and it got got yeah. a great laugh. You know, mm. I, I'm I'm happy to got dance a bit of a that. round of applause. Too, it did. Yeah. 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 It got around. It got, it got around for sure. I'm very happy to tread that line. Uh, what would be your favourite gadget? Because this one is laden with gadgets. It I mean, is. not over stuff. What, what I liked about the gadgets, again, and it seems to be the the word of the day for this film, is that they were all grounded. You know, whereas the, the Moore's gadgets were campy, none of these were campy. Mm. They were all worked into the narrative. Mm. I think the car's gadgets were my favourite. Oh, yeah. The control yeah. panel in the car. Yeah. That yeah. was just that alone was pretty cool. I've had a few optional extras. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I like the, the skids. I like the laser beam. Yeah, the car. The car for me was my favourite gadget. Yeah. Mm. I think. The, whist- the whistle was the fun. Whistle the whistle is good. Is fun. Yeah. I, my favourite though, <laughs> and it does not factor into the plot at all. Is the three seater lounge which swallows <laughs> simply purely because of purely because of the chuckle and grin <laughs> that Q has when he then he sits really down. loved it. He really loved it. It yeah. is. Like, oh my god, he's actually been eaten by the lounge. <laughs> and it serves no purpose. Like right. in what <laughs> what mission could that possibly be used? Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. I mean, I... you could be heard screaming <laughs> through yeah. that thing. You know, we can hear him going <laughs> but the way that Q Desmond Llewellyn's Q kind of beams when he, he sits really on the does. it's just like he made that perfect. one for himself yeah for that yeah. yeah yeah and a kind of like meta acknowledgement of like the art department's out doing themselves you know like he's just like I can't believe the production department the props guys got on to making a lounge that actually eats someone I love the fact that we actually have an official or what I perceive to be an official cue scene. Me too. Where he's in the lab and they're workshopping new gadgets. And a gadgets mannequin and... gets it. Yeah, the yeah, mannequin. You've got to have a mannequin that cops it. Yep. You know, the, gets ghetto the... <laughs> the ghetto blaster. The ghetto blaster. 
great. And it's got some campy name. And yeah. I really loved it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. I think we should talk about uh, about these MI6 regulars. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, Desmond Llewellyn as Q. Yeah. Um, Didn't like Money Penny. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's talk. Who should we talk about first? Q mm. or Money Penny? I, I think it's pretty easy to get Q out of the way because yeah. it's Desmond Llewellyn. Mm. He is Q. Really? Like, he never turns in a bad performance no, as never. Q. Mm. He's so bloody charming and yeah. lovable and likable. And I, I think he's just brilliant in this. I love his I love his suit. Mm-hmm. I think he's dressed Ooh, yes. very well. That grey mm. oh, um, yeah, like Prince of Wales check is mm. very, very good. Mm. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> um... I agree with you, Caroline Bliss's Money Penny. This is her introduction as Money Penny. She served she? only in two. She was oh. Timothy Dalton's Money Penny. Okay. Um, I think she is. She's got a really tough gig because she's following Lois Maxwell, who is Money. Who Penny. is Money Penny? Mm. Um, I think unrivaled as Money Penny, in my opinion. Who's Brosnan's Money Penny? Samantha Bond. Who I think is probably the second best money penny for my money. Right. I quite penny. For my money penny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Carolyn Bliss. I think. Uh, look, she seems like a lovely person. <laughs> um, she seems a little um, unsettled. She does in in her scenes. Mm. Not really knowing, and and I don't like that she's head over heels for Bond. Like when Bond puts her glasses back on her and they're a bit askew and she lets out the <sighs> kind of lovelorn sigh as he yeah, walks away. Yeah. I don't like that. I like more of the frisson between um, between Bond and Money Penny. Yeah. I like the, you'll never get this. You know, <laughs> exactly. Maybe you will. Exactly you know, there's that kind of back and forth. She's yeah. as quick and as sharp as he is, yeah. if not more so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she never gives in, never gives up. Yeah, and the butt tap that, was that yeah. Dalton gives her. At least we didn't get a shot of it. Yeah, thank yeah, God. Yeah, a shot of it would have just been way over the top. But the fact Probably that they managed to put it into the sound design as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you really hear it too. Like, it's yeah. a, it's like, was that and a it's spank? A, it's a couple of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, It's a couple. Yeah. It's not yeah. just a single like kind of footy tap. It's no, a, it's a... On your way. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was a little too self-aware of the... What you were saying, I guess, just a little too aware of the relationship. It just seemed a little too manufactured. Mm. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm supposed to be the 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 sexy kind of money penny that you know is in love with Bond, and it was like, mm, you know, she's a little more complicated than that. There's yeah. a little more going on, and mm. and you're right. I think money penny's a lot more interesting, and uh, when she when she holds her own against Bond. Yes, and. This is the first time that we've seen this new M. First time that you two have but seen the new not M. Not his first appearance? No, his first appearance officially as M is in... Well, it depends who you ask. Uh, he actually appears for the first time in... Oh, fact check this. Yeah. But I believe he fit the first time he appears is in... The Spy Who Loved Me. Okay. Um, as, as M? Well, not as M, but as an admiral um, with, like within that. the British Navy. He is first seen as M, though, in Octopussy. I don't know what to make of him. Yeah, he's definitely the M that I forget about. Well, I kept forgetting... Because 
there was someone who looked a little similar to him. Mm, especially when you get into that big old English manor where they're riding the horses around. I didn't. There, I can't forget it. We're in that boardroom. Yeah, there's a lot of bloody old British. There's a lot of old British men there. Who, who's running this ship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one of you is M? <laughs> yeah, a little forgettable. Uh, uh, I, I think so too. I think he does a. Uh, I think he does a good enough job. I think he's got a really nice moment at the start when the uh, the doors yeah, open yeah. up. The paper, the paper starts paper flying. Start I do love the so fact stupid. that he's kind of. Renovated the you know that the fuselage of the ship uh, the the plane to look like his you know very timber laden yes, uh, he's always, office he's always got an office uh, big simply, heavy timbers simply with must. the desk and the you know leather bound chairs and everything sitting in the back of this plane yeah he's 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 definitely not my favourite but I tell you who is my absolute least favourite um, it is. Uh, the Felix Leiter in this. Oh yeah, I, I think he didn't have much of a presence. Yeah, he doesn't have any presence mm. for my my money. I think his um, his styling is terrible. Mm. I don't think he he doesn't have the thing that Jack Lord had, where you're like, oh, he's as cool. He's like yeah. the CIA's Bond, yeah. and he doesn't have the lovable charm that David Hedison has, or that Jeffrey the capability that Jeffrey Wright has. Mm. Um, I will go so far as to say it was disrespectful. Oh, to call him Felix Leiter. <gasps> yeah, I think he should have just been some other contact. Mm. Why go through all that effort? Like, well, that, well that why sucks. have him at all? Why have him there at I all? I don't think That's he think, needed you know? to be in the film. Mm. I think uh... because Felix deserves so much more than that. No, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be a film about a you know, buddy film about Bond and Felix. No. But have yes, you've, you've you've established this relationship. You've established mm. the status of Felix. Mm. And I don't think that that Dalton and that actor. I think his name is John Henry, right? Or John Terry, I think. Or Henry Terry, <laughs> or Terry John Henry. <laughs> I mean, he's that memorable. Um, I don't think he and Dalton have any chemistry whatsoever, mm. and it's not on Dalton's part. I think Dalton comes across as very charming, and he's and trying to be his friend. He's trying to act that scene. Mm. I think that that guy is yeah. He's the mm. only one in the film that doesn't match Dalton mm. when it comes to um, acting across him in the scene. He is my least favourite Felix Leiter. Mm-hmm. Mm. Without a doubt. Yeah. He doesn't come back, does he? He doesn't come back. No, no. Uh, in the next film, it's David Hedison making oh, okay. his return. Yeah. Oh, right. After 16 years. Yeah, wow. that's crazy. But with a leg. They well, don't, yes. they don't get rid of yeah, Felix's he, leg no, in no, the film. No, he's, no, he's, he's, he's got a leg at the, um, at, at the, in the film. Right, right. Um, so... Well, funnily enough, we're talking about returning actors yeah, with yeah. Um, David Hedison. This is Joe Don Baker's first appearance in a Bond film. He plays Bradley Whitaker. Oh. You remarked that he looked very similar to a Felix Leiter actor. Yes. You were very close. Fact check. You were very <laughs> close. He plays CIA agent Jack Wade <sighs> in Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. There you go. He so comes he... back and plays a completely different character. Not without precedent either. Mm, wow. Um, oh, yeah, I remember you talking about this. Do you remember the actor who played... Um, it's just a jump to the left. <sighs> do you remember him? Charles Gray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Charles the, Gray, the, the narrator from yes, Rocky Horror. Yes, the narrator in Rocky Horror. He plays Mr. Henderson in You Only Live Twice, and then four years later, so Honor Majesties comes out two years, and then two years after that is Diamonds Are Forever. Charles Gray, who plays the ally of Mr. Henderson in um, You Only Live Twice, comes back and plays Blofeld. 
Wow. So Joe uh, Joe Don Baker does the reverse of that and mm. played the villain first. Yes. And then a film film later comes back as the ally. I thought go. the CIA guy in Goldeneye was a Felix. <laughs> there I you are. He, that's who I was thinking of. I well, thought it was Felix. He does serve. He does serve that kind that of that CIA that part. Mm. There you go. It was him. So he comes back. He comes back, but it. as a completely different totally actor. Different. Well, which you know, it, it's that's the continuity of these first twenty films is slightly askew yeah. with that kind of stuff. In the same way that the actor who plays M in this, Robert Brown, it's never confirmed that he is the same character that, that he played in the uh, that was the admiral right. but a lot of people have the fan theory that he because is. miles messervy which is um bernard lee's character's real name was an admiral who became m mm. that it makes sense that because we've seen him before and he has the same rank mm. that he would become a new m. he would be m and that it is the same character but oh, then right. there are the the kind of inconsistencies with charles gray and joe don baker where it's like well, hang on are they the same people? It it, yeah, you yeah, can't you can't yeah. pull it apart uh, too much. You pull it a string, and the, the, whole, the whole thing, thing. can come apart. What did you think of Joe Don Baker as? Because um, he's would you count him as the primary villain? Whitaker. Yeah, I don't know. No, I'd actually count. Um, Georgie. Georgie. Yeah, Georgie's my primary. Mm. But I really loved Whitaker. Yeah, I really like him too. Mm, I really, really loved him. I loved the war room. Mm. I, I loved his. He he really understood his character, even though it was such a relatively small villain character in a way. Yeah, you know? well, it's the kind of villain that could be played really, really poorly. Yeah, mm. like the yes, war he crazed man. Could be very mustache oh, Pepper. He could have been WCV. He could have been a JW Pepper. Yes. It could have been. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been an easy kind of snipe at American, you yeah. know, imperialism and But he's, he has his motives. He's grounded. He's, yeah. I liked him. Yeah, he's a, he's a bloody competent actor. I mm. don't think he's an iconic villain. No. I don't think he does enough. I think that war room is really interesting. <clears throat> I feel like he's dispatched too easily at the mm. end there with the mm. bust of, is it Wellington? Wellington. Mm. Uh, with the bust of Wellington, a Perhaps a nod, actually, to the portrait of Wellington that is knocked in off Doctor in Doctor No. no. Mm. There's a lot of intertextuality here, guys. Oh, there you go. Um, Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> 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 um, I think he's dispatched slightly too easily. Yeah. There's so much going on in that war room that I've always wondered it's if there was. I always wondered if there's an extended version of that scene, yeah. mm-hmm. um, just because there's so much going on in there. It that seem that, like it through the blocking. Because Bond ends up behind that pillar and then... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just that there's so much in there that could have been used mm. that could have made it a really bloody iconic sequence, I yes. think. Yes, yeah. Great, great set design there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of it does make me feel a little bit like even even the creators weren't really sure who the big bad was. Well, it's actually... It's kind of Necros. The henchman. He's probably, our most aggressive. He's yeah. the most aggressive villain. Mm. Yeah, he's the the hardest to get rid of. But I guess the henchman usually is. He's the muscle. Yeah, similar to Tehe, right? Tehe got the big yep. fight at the end. Mm. He's the one with the claw. He's the one that does all the fighting. Whereas Kananga was dispatched relatively. Yeah, there's no big. Easy. There's no big bad 
villain pulling the strings in this one, is there? Mm. No, it's kind of a, a, a small group of... Um, mm. Ne'er do wells. People with real Yeah, that are trying to play everyone off against each other. Um, It's that classic Cold War thing. We remarked upon it again Mm. during the film that even the good guys are a bit shady Mm. in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Georgi, I find so charming. He's very charming. He's Mm. so lovable. You wish he wasn't a bad guy. You really wish he wasn't a bad guy. They really pull on your heart with him. Yeah. Yeah. He's really well performed. He's very charismatic. He is. Very charismatic. And that's another one that could be that big, over-the-top kind Mm. of, you know, J.W. Pepper kind of... Oh, especially when he kind of gets out of gets out of you know the USSR and he's oh Bond oh, James James yeah. Bond yeah. all of that you know you could really ham that up yeah mm. I think he, he walks a really fine he line. does he does it well yeah. Yeah. he does it well I think he navigates it well mm. I thought it was very surprising that he managed to survive that car explosion in the desert though I thought he, <laughs> yes. I thought he yes. got out of that pretty well with a little couple of sk- burns scars <laughs> yeah. on his cheek I thought well done it does it that does feel like he probably should have I think he died probably there. Should have died. It's a big explosion. Yeah. Um, but also, it's not a huge payoff when he comes back and he's like, oh, Whitaker had me kidnapped and oh, yeah. uh, I was only. Puts the you know, act on yeah, it. Yeah, it, it is the nice act that on it's brought to justice. It, it, it is, it is. And that you kind of see that the, the USSR, the KGB, are no fools either. Oh, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, I, I, I do like that that it doesn't play them off as and I don't think any of the Bond films ever did it never plays um, you know East versus West that West is smart and sharp and superior yeah true they're both they're fighting for very different ideas I really like Pushkov Pushkin Pushkin yes Jonathan Rhys Myers which one is he <laughs> Jonathan Myers I don't Jonathan Rhys Davies Gimli Gimli <laughs> he was great he's very good I really yeah. liked him he's very very good is um, he appear- he seems like a new character who is going to be in heaps of subsequent films well it's funny you pick up on that because that character was meant to be uh, Gogol who appears oh. at the very end of the film yeah so he appeared first appeared in The Spy Who Loved Me um, and he was kind of like all throughout the Russian, uh, the Roger Moore films. He was like the Russian uh, KGB chief. Right. Um, the original plot of the film had the Pushkin character as Gogol, huh. but the actor was very, very sick, and so he couldn't commit to uh, the shooting schedule. But they still made room for him to have one last cameo um, at the end of the film, where he kind of congratulates Karamilovi and. Um, he's set up the K1 visa or whatever it is yeah, that right, allows right. her to travel outside of the USSR. Um, yeah, it's funny you picked up on that because he does feel like... He's got that air to him. It's like yeah. he could come back. He's, yeah. he's, he's a contact. He's an ally. unexplored he's a... territory. Mm. There yeah. definitely is. Mm. And it, it's one of the... Look, I, I will not crap on License to Kill because I think a lot of people have already done that for me and I quite enjoy License to Kill for the most part. But it is funny going from this film into License to Kill just how different uh, they are right. and that you you kind of see these things being set up in the living daylight mm. that are kind of forgotten about, forgotten about or mm. abandoned mm. almost. Like Pushkin could have come back. Yeah. In right. the same way that Valentin Zukovsky um, could, you know, the guy in Goldeneye, he comes back in The World yeah. Is Not Enough, played by Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Col- yeah. He gives me Robbie Coltrane vibes. Yeah, I he does. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. 
Uh, me too. I think Pushkin and Zukovsky are, uh, are very similar. It is so much so that, um, you know, the Zukovsky character could have probably been Pushkin, Pushkin. but mm-hmm. by that time they might have thought he was mm-hmm. too old or mm-hmm. Pushkin whatever. came to shove. Ooh, very good. <laughs> kind of a villain, but not. Played off by the villains or used by the villains mm. is our our only Bond woman mm. of the uh, of the film, Kara Milovi. And what a Bond woman. Yeah. What a Bond mm. woman. A fine example of a Bond woman. Yes, yeah. Mm. I, it's something that had never really stood out to me before this viewing, mm. is that she's kind of the perfect Bond woman yeah. in that at the at the start she's that kind of winged dove archetype and nothing needs to be explained to her you know it's she discovers everything herself you see her learning you see yeah. her learning about the plot about the players you see her changing it's yeah. really really well performed yeah. yeah at the start she's you know she's the manipulated pawn yeah. kind of turns into a bit of you know damsel in distress mm. but by the end of the film mm. she's Really ruthlessly She's capable. riding horses through the desert. She's she's knocking people out. Slapping she's people the off first one to jeep. go off after Bond. Yeah, yeah. she gets the jeep up the back of the plane. Yeah. Like yeah. it's brilliant. I mean, she's she great. does have the little moment where she takes her eyes off the mountain and almost <laughs> crashes the plane. In there. That's funny. <laughs> but you don't have uh, you don't have that moment of um, she's not a ditz. You no, know what I mean? Not. She's not kind of left there when the when the. You know, when the cards are all on the table, yeah. she's not quivering. She actually stands up for herself. You're totally right. And I think she, at least to this point, for me, probably has the biggest journey out of all the Bond girls we've seen so far. Yeah. She really, you really see her transform as a character from when we first meet her to, to sort of her final image. Really, she travels. Solitaire does too. I think that's they, they're pretty well linked together, actually. Yeah, I mm. think, and and I think Tracy has a pretty good, yeah, um, pretty good journey. Um, I don't know. I feel like Tracy kind of is pretty constant. She she is, but um, I think she's she's with Tracy. I think the tragedy of her is that you're kind of seeing her halfway through her journey, mm. and that it's then tragically cut short. Yeah. Um, like in terms of. Tracy's story that's the mid that would be the midway point if the film focused on Tracy yeah but yeah. because it's Bond's story we pick up later through we mm. end where where it should be her midpoint mm. um, I, I completely believe the relationship between Dalton and uh, I think the actress's name is Mariam Darbo yeah um, I completely believe Kara and Bond's relationship when they are in the back of that um, that beautiful taxi in Vienna mm. with the horse-drawn cab. Even just the way they're having fun together at the carnival. Yeah, yeah. Oh my you know, God, That was yes. just two people having fun having together. Having fun. And, and yeah. that she's she is actually genuinely conflicted. She just doesn't give it up. Like, because at the start of the film, she's so head over heels in love with Georgi. Yes. Um, you know, she, she thinks that she was helping him and that he's some, you know, he's doing the right thing and that Bond is there to help both Georgi and, and her, you know mm. what I mean? Mm. Um, and that when she starts to fall for Bond, she's deeply conflicted, like in the Fer- Ferris wheel scene. Mm. She's really like, oh, no, don't do we this. can't do this. Yeah. yeah. But she just is so strongly drawn to him. Mm. That I, I, when they look at each other in the eyes, I, mm. I'm just like, yep, that's two people who are deeply in love yeah they are falling in love in front of us yeah and we hadn't seen that 
I would actually say we haven't seen it that convincingly in any of the Bond films, uh-huh. even on Her Majesty's. Actually, mm-hmm. when I think about it, mm-hmm. I think that that Kara and Bond in in this they that's that's a real mm-hmm. real love. And when he comes back there at the end after her big concert, and you hear the and the the little the keys, and she ducks around, and he's there. Of course, he's there. Yeah, mm-hmm. the two martinis already poured yeah. out and. Yeah. Oh, and her smile just lights up the screen. I thought she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. She's she's such a she's such a beautiful uh, a beautiful woman. Um, she's a really really bloody strong actor too. Yeah, yeah. Um, when she's when she's confronting Bond before when they're in the Mujahideen's kind of base or palace, whatever that is, um, you know, she's kind of confronting him with tears in her eyes. I feel so deeply yeah, for her yeah. in a way that I don't think I've cared as much for any of the other Bond girls that we've seen so far. I think there there are stronger um, uh, characters that are in some of the other films, particularly Vesper Lind. I mm. don't think it gets better than her. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think she's I think she's fantastic. Mm. Absolutely. We've only got one more thing to talk about, really. Oh, wow. Well, apart from, I mean, a couple of things, but the style, we did touch on this earlier. We touched on it. Yeah. yeah. What would you say is your favourite outfit? Ooh. Oh, gee. I think I know my favourite outfit, All so right. I'll, I'll, I'll start us Lay off. It on. My, my favourite outfit is, um, is that suit that he's wearing, the checked suit. Uh, when he meets Georgi with In the, the hamper. Countryside. Oh my mm. god, yes. Mm. I love it. I think he looks the absolute business. <laughs> I think my favourite stylistic uh, uh, element is, yes. is maybe not an outfit in total, but what blew me away was when he covered up his Ooh. white... Yeah, yeah that's the, my second favourite. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the tactical tuxedo. The tactical yeah. tux. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very good. Yeah. My favourite, I think... I have two, but they're very closely linked. I loved when we first see... I think it is when he's sitting in his Audi in, in the desert. Oh, the tan village. suit. The tan suit. Mm. And I believe he's got a white shirt under it when we first see it. I love that suit. I love the evolution when we have... The, the long sleeved polo and, oh, the, and, yeah. the, and the tan chinos or the, or the the light pant there, I think those two looks are really really nice. He's really well dressed in he this. Is. Everyone is very very well dressed mm. in this. Yeah. Surprising for the eighties. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought we were going to get all kinds of wacky colours and yeah. weird shapes and cuts and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. Yeah. no shoulder pads, no crazy no shoulder, shoulder pads. pads. There is a bit of that in, 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 in the Moors ones, yeah. and I got to say, License to Kill is not a stylish film. Oh yeah. License to Kill gets that kind of Miami Vice kind of Ooh, yeah. feel to oh. it in the clothing. <laughs> uh, it's a bit lethal weapon in the uh, yeah, costume okay. department right. for that film, which is a shame. It also has the infamous Timothy Dalton Dracula haircut. Oh. <laughs> which which is funny because in this, I think Dalton's hair is fantastic. Mm. It's very timeless. It doesn't feel like a kind of dated 80s haircut. No. It's a bit I long. I would completely disagree. Really? Oh, really? I would completely disagree. If there is one stylistic gripe... It's the haircut. Is, ...is Dalton's hair. Really? Yep. Too long for you? I think that it's, it's too fluffy. It's oh. bouncing around everywhere. It just seems to get in the way a bit. There are times <laughs> when the wind's blowing and you can tell he's losing it. It's getting a bit thin at the front. 
Oh. I think, you know, I think he would have been a lot smarter, a lot more stylish if it was shorter. Oh, okay. Well, you're really not going to like License to Kill. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> if you think that's puffy... Ooh, we. Oh, <laughs> we, you don't know oh, we, we are going to Transylvania, my friend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, technically, Darby, this is where you kind of shine through. I think I've spoken a lot about it. I think yeah. the only thing I kind of haven't mentioned that I picked up on um, is John Glenn's mastery of perspective-based mm. filmmaking. Um, that was my key takeaway is that he is he's very happy to see through the eyes of the character. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the more obvious ones are the peering out from behind the boxes. Um, but what really made me go, this guy's a master of perspective, was the introduction of the carnival. On top of the... Uh, when we're in the roller coaster, the camera's strapped to the front oh, of the roller yeah. coaster. Doubles as not only a, a, an establishing shot of our scene, but also a perspective shot of the characters. And, and then those two or three shots thereafter are just beautiful as they go up and down the roller coaster. So yeah, apart from all the other stuff I've spoken about, that would be my big one. Is the mm. perspective and shot reverse shot based filmmaking. I don't know if he does it in his other ones, but I hope he does because it's brilliant. Yeah, it'll be interesting because it, mm. it's something I, I must, I have to admit, it's not something I pay a whole lot of attention to. I really only notice it when it's bad, yep. when, when things go wrong, mm. when you're a bit like, what the hell was that? Yeah. Mm. I think John Glenn directed some of the better Bond films and I think he he kind of steered Bond through the 80s really really well this is for my money the most stylish of the John Glenn of the John Glenn films Mm. Peter Lamont's um Design, art design, mm. yeah. is fantastic. It really complements the cinematography. As we're in this. saying, that elegance, that yeah. it's, it's very elegant and elegant. understated. Yes, it's yeah. it's Bond is best when it is elegant yet understated. Mm. I think, mm. um, yeah, and you can just feel a real passion that Glenn has mm. for for Bond films. And it's I mean, it's all storyboarded. You can tell by looking at it. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the, the complexity of those. The wide shots on the Russian airbase. I mean, imagine trying to direct that mess. Oh, yeah. And, and you never lost. Coordinating pyrotechnics and fight corridors, oh. vehicles moving. And, and, and I think Glenn is such a perfect person to make these, these Bond films because he started off in second unit mm. and then editing and then, you know, mm. he, he knew what... He knew what he needed to give his editor. Oh, his, and I mean? his eye trace, I mean, which is yeah. a whole other technique, you know, leading the viewer's eye. You know, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but that Russian airbase again, you know, you get the cars coming through from left to right and then the cars exit and your eyes led over to the right side of the frame just as a plane comes through the other way. Like, that's oh, not that just... Brilliant. It's not just choreography, it's, it's incredibly intelligent direction. Yeah, yeah, a lot of forethought. Yes, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and he, he had a real challenge of... Because um, when he directed Fioros Only, which was his first one, he was really, really, really nervous that he was going to, on his debut, have to introduce a new Bond. Mm-hmm. Because n- no one was sure whether or not Roger was going to come back. Right. Wow. Um, he'd done four, and he was getting on in years, and Roger was starting to admit that himself. Uh, but I'll do three more. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes, essentially. Um, but Glenn was very happy that he didn't on his first have to introduce a new Bond. But he does it bloody well in this. He mm. really, really kind of... Well, um, does he recalibrate his style as well? Um, or not so much? 
I guess a little bit. A little bit. I think mm. it's it's definitely tailored more to what Dalton's bringing. But yeah. I think the the screenplay written by Maybaum and um, Michael G. Michael, Wilson, yeah. who had written most of the the previous films in the Roger Moore era, yeah. um, from For Your Eyes Only at least, um, you know, they had uh, definitely adapted to what Tim uh, Timothy Dalton was was bringing. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, well, it's I, probably time for our ratings. I guess it is. It, yeah. it probably is time for the ratings. Now, I went first last week. Who wants to go first mm, this week? Okay. I'm going to say Darby. You, right. you should go first. A lot to digest. There's a lot to digest. Mm. Um, I think impeccable direction, amazing styling, elegance out the wazoo, mm-hmm. um, perfect action. Great bond, a great bond woman. It ticks all the boxes. It ticks all the boxes. There's a few missteps, but they're only that. They're only missteps, and they don't detract from the whole. At the effort, at the risk of sounding like I'm repeating myself, this is again. This is going to be a shaken nine for me. Wow! Wow! wow. Yeah. See, I'm not ever expecting these bloody ratings out of you guys. Like, I thought you were going to go lower. No, it's really. I could not possibly go lower than a nine. I couldn't justify. If I was going lower than a nine, it would be out of fear that I'm giving these films too high a rating, mm. and I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah. going to stick to my guns. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah. Be, don't be dictated by no. fear. No. <laughs> it's a shaken nine, absolutely. Mr. Spear, mm, yeah, I'm yeah. very interested to see what you think <laughs> of the living daylights. Well, Mr. Dalton, uh, a very worthy Bond, absolutely, yeah, undoubtedly so. Um, very stylish. Not as awkward as I thought he was going to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe not even as serious necessarily, but I really enjoyed the authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the underplaying of, of the one-liners and, and his situation was, was really admirable. And I think seeing him vulnerable and in love was, was, was good. I think he really let us in. He did. Um, by yeah. keeping us but did he, at arm's length. Did he let himself into your heart? <laughs> <laughs> Look, there was no shortage of gadgets. <clears throat> Pardon me. There was no shortage of great vehicles. There was certainly no shortage of great action sequences and stunts. The locations were stunning and stylish. We went all over the world. I loved it. The Bond girl, fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. The allies and even the villains, you know, apart from Clip Clop, old mate's offside. Tony <laughs> Whitaker's offside and yes. it's prancing around like some baby giraffe. His only, his only purpose is to clip clop his heels, <laughs> salute, so, and say, here's the character that's already been established dude, in frame. Dude, I, he should have been, he should have had his own death. You really wanted him to die. I really wanted to see him get thrown <laughs> off a cliff or something. Cliff Clop. Cliff Clop. <laughs> Off the cliff, cliff cloth. <laughs> um, look, but he is certainly not enough to detract uh, any kind of significant uh, figure off my rating. Look, I'm going to give this a shaken eight. Very good, very good. It's a solid bond for me. Um, maybe what didn't get it over for me, 
I don't know. Look, the last thing I saw was Live and Let Die, and I was up out of my seat for half of that film. Mm-hmm, yeah. There were certainly moments when I was up out of my seat with this film, particularly towards the end. Like I said before, I think it takes a little while to get into it. Not too much, but I don't know. There, were, there is something in it that's holding me back, but it's still a damn fine Bond film. Mm. A lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. It's an eight. Oh, God. Now, this is tricky, because I want to know... Do we want to get into the territory of doing point fives, no. or do we want to keep these strictly on a on a whole number? I think we should probably should keep them. I on think whole if you're numbers. doing a point five, you've got to round up. Oh God! See, I actually think if you're doing a point five, you should probably round Damn. down. Mm, That's right. my thing because it's like, yeah, but you didn't touch it, did you? Ah. You're reaching, it's reaching. Mm. So maybe that'll be my my right. thing here. Look. I bloody love this film. It's a top 10 Bond film for me. As was Live and Let Die. As was Honor Majesties. Bloody hell. I think even Dr. No is scratching the top 10 if it's not there. This is... I think without this film, we probably don't have the Casino Royale that we got. I think in the original 20, this is as close to Fleming as we got, apart from maybe from Russia with Love. This, there is a, this feels like a great classic spy thriller. Mm. And I think Dalton's performance is bloody fantastic in this. It's quintessential Bond. It really is. Um, The only thing that, that, keeps me from giving this top marks is I really, really, really don't like the title song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the instrumental version. I think John Barry's score is fantastic. John Barry himself said that he had a real tough time working with AHA, mm. um, which is funny because when he did the song for A View to a Kill with Duran Duran, he said that it was the best experience that he'd ever had. Wow. Um, but I think you can hear it in 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 the song the the song really drives me bloody spare <laughs> um, i hate his voice i i don't really like the um the instrumentation or orchestration however you say it mm. of the film i think the title sequence is probably one of the weakest in the series um i forget it mm. when i was watching it today i was like oh yeah i forgot that i forgot mm. that there was a girl in a martini glass and mm. that you actually see them mm. i also think that Whitaker's um demise i think the demise of pretty much all the villains apart from necros are just a little bit lacking yeah. that said every other element of this film is really prestige bond for me and mm. with that I'm going to give this, it's reaching for a nine, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give it a shake and eight. Very good. Well, there we are, gentlemen. Oof. Well, gentlemen, we've done The Living Daylights. Mm. We have another bond to introduce Ooh. to you all. And we'll be introducing you to him in 1995's 